The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we will be discussing the new beginning in Tampa and giving our new beginning in Sapporo predictions, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. All right, young boy. How you doing, man? How dare you ask me that question? <laughs> <laughs> you know exactly how I'm doing. <laughs> I've yeah. come from the brink of death. I stared death in the eye this weekend, and I said, take me. This pain is too great. Unfortunately, it wanted me to suffer just a bit more. This was one of the worst weekends of my life ever. It, it started off as a good weekend <laughs> and then ended up, ended up uh, pretty badly. So uh, both me and the young boy uh, had some food poisoning oh and the fever. God. And a uh, friend of the show, Dan Coffin, as well. Uh, God. Yeah, Sunday morning was not great for any of us <laughs> I haven't really talked to Dan But I think in the group chat he said he lost how many pounds? Uh, like 12 I think he said 12, so, 15, so, something like that That sounds too much But it's <laughs> something crazy Like, Oh my god It, it reminded me of that uh, Did you ever see that episode of Parks and Rec Where they all got food poisoning? Yes <laughs> Bro, That's how I felt this weekend Like Oh man It just got It started bad And then it got progressively worse and worse And then it got worse And I was just like Oh my god I can't believe this is happening But the thing is like I What we We all were not talking So we were all going through it at the same time But unaware Of, of what caused it or Right And like we were all supposed to meet up uh, Here at the dojo For Worlds, Worlds Collide And Royal Rumble Watch party uh, Dan was gonna make some of his uh, infamous uh, pulled pork. Oh, that doesn't even sound appetizing to me in any <laughs> in any way right now. And so yeah, so around I think it was like probably like around noon. Like Dan hits the group up. He's like, guys, I'm not feeling good. Like <laughs> I, I can't come to the party tonight. And then me, I was like, bro, that works out perfectly because I'm not feeling well either. I was gonna try and power through and 
know, keep the party going, but no, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. So I woke up in the middle of the night and I was just feeling so sick. I went out into the living room and I just like sat on the couch and like cradled a blanket. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> but I thought I was fine. And then suddenly like I felt my stomach like gurgling and I was like, Oh <laughs> no. And I, I won't go into too much detail, but uh, me and the bathroom were acquainted very much. So this weekend and um, yeah, it was awful. Like I, I got like, I threw up. I haven't thrown up from actually being sick in like a decade. I couldn't believe. I literally couldn't believe it. I was like, "This can't be happening." <laughs> I'm like clutching the toilet bowl. I'm like, "No!" <laughs> like I just didn't want it to happen, and then it did. Uh, I was scared. <laughs> yeah, dude, it was it was rough, man. Yeah. Oh, it was so bad. And then like the worst part was like, uh, it was really. I've had food poisoning on a few other occasions. It's always really bad, but like I had full fever. Body chills, muscle aches, weakness, headache. Like, yeah, yeah, I had a fever, really bad headache. Just, yeah. I couldn't believe it. And then um, I hadn't talked to you guys, so I didn't know what was causing it. And we'd gone to a, a local indie show the night before, which I don't even want to talk about that show. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had a, a, a chili dog. And uh, when I was eating it, my girlfriend was like, you're going to eat that? It looks disgusting. And I was like, I'm hungry. <laughs> and I was like, we're at an indie show. It's what you do. You eat, you eat bad food. So right. I, I ate it, and then I was like, the next day I was like, I know it was that chili dog. I know, <laughs> handshaking a hot dog. <laughs> My God. Yeah, and uh, for me and Dan, we went to this Thai restaurant before that indie show, and we both got different things, but it was like, well, both me and Dan are sick, because before you chimed in, it's like, yeah. it has to be the Thai place. And then you were like, well, no, I'm sick too. So then we realized all three of us had um, the sliders at the uh, Northeast Tavern. Oh, I want to yeah, put it out there. Put your name on it. <laughs> we all three ordered the same thing. We all got sick. So, so we, so we had our we had our meetup, our fan meetup uh, for for the pre-show at this tavern. Had a great time, great experience, great staff. And then uh, after the show, all of our cars were there. They're like, let's go, let's go grab a drink. And you know what? I didn't have a drink. I was like, I'm gonna be responsible. I had a water, and I was like, let's get some lean meat in here. Like, let's do that. You know, they had this, uh, you know, these steak sliders and uh, with mixed greens. And I was like, that sounds pretty healthy. I'm going to, I'll do that. That'll be good, you know, make sure I'm, like, good and sober, hydrated, healthy. Oh, my God. What (laughs) the mistake of a lifetime, bro. This is what Naito felt like when he lost (laughs) in the dome, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, dude, it was a rough feeling, but... Let's talk about the good parts of the weekend. So uh, Friday we had so Brock Lesnar got eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, new beginning in Tampa. So Friday we had the show at the St. Pete Coliseum. Like we mentioned beforehand, we had our fan meetup at the Old Northeast Tavern before the show. It was awesome. Would you say what? Well, probably like 30, 30 to forty. Thirty people. to forty people throughout the night. Yeah, and. Um, we had some great raffle giveaways. We met some listeners of the show, some people who have heard of us before, but you know didn't quite listen to us yet. So we were able to kind of make some new listeners. Yeah, man, just um, so so excited. If you were there, you know, uh, sh- shoot us a message. We're uh, obviously like all of our social media is out there, but like you know, shoot us a message, shoot us a DM, let us know what you thought. If ha- you know, connect with us. Uh, there was there really was so many people it was like almost impossible to like connect and remember everybody was there but like um, I was just so in, I was like surprised at people that like 
when we were talking to them, I'm like, how did you find out about us? And it was so many different methods. It was like different Facebook groups and pages and Reddit, Reddit yeah. and Twitter, yeah. Twitter and everything. And I was like, oh, and like just people, we didn't know if anyone was going to come. Like we, we kind of were like, well, you know what, if it's just our group, you know, cause keep in mind, it's not like the New York party where we know that there's going to be like last year we had the New York party. We kind of figured people are coming. We were marketing it. It's WrestleMania weekend. There's lots of wrestling fans in place, but like here in the Tampa, like local market, I didn't know if anyone would actually come out to it. You know what I mean? So I was so pleasantly surprised that like so many people came out. They all had a good time. We did raffles and giveaways and, Drinks and it was awesome. Yeah, it was a great time. Yeah, shout out to some of the people from the uh, NXT United crew. They were out there. There are people from Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, like we mentioned. So yeah, shout out. Much love to everybody that came out. Yeah, I and, can't uh, remember everybody's name, but like David, Jaime, different people. It's just really, it's just really cool. And then obviously, like our crew, the uh, Social Suplex, the Largo Loop crew. Yeah, shout out to our our guys and, and uh, girls. And uh, yeah, it was just awesome, man. Yeah, great time. And then from there, we uh, headed over to the Coliseum to enjoy the new beginning in Tampa. Also, before we move on, I just want to say, I think if you are a listener and you are going to be doing, um, you know, you're going to be going to some of these other, like, New Japan and the USA shows, like, I don't see any reasons you shouldn't be able to do your own fan meetup. Like, I think that people in other markets should be doing exactly what we did. You know, because, like, to be honest, like, there was nothing special about what we did. We we picked a tavern. We made Good up a time. little flyer. Yeah. Uh, we didn't tell them we were doing it. <laughs> 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 We were just like, we knew they had an open room, you know, like a bar room. And we were just like, we'll just, we'll, we'll take over it. You know what I mean? Right. They, they were fine with it. And um, we brought them business. We brought them business. And yeah, if you guys are listeners and and uh, you know New Japan fans, and you're gonna be in these other markets, you know, uh, Miami, Atlanta, you know, uh, they're going to Durham, right? Yeah, you guys, you guys should do this on your own as well. You know, there's no reason. I mean, like you shared that t- uh, post on um, New Japan Reddit like a day before. Yeah, like, I think it was actually maybe two. I think it was a Wednesday. Dude. Yeah, it was Wednesday because I, I made it during when I was watching uh, Dynamite. That meetup took that that poster took you how many minutes to make? Like five, like probably less than five. Five minutes yeah. to make up. You posted it on there, and it blew up. There was like 50, 60 like upvotes. I mean, that 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 tweet or that t- uh, what do you call it? What is the post? The post. Your your Reddit post got more up upvotes than like our weekly shows do. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's just because people like appreciate the idea of like community and things like that. And uh, it was really cool getting to meet other fans. And I think um, that's an important thing to kind of grow what New Japan is doing here in the country. Like. So if you're um you know if you're a listener there's I I think you should take it on yourself to maybe do the same thing it costs you no money right you, you don't have to be like us and do the raffle and stuff like that just gather some people together throw a graphic out there um, post on the Reddit uh, Twitter the event page also I posted I posted in the actual event page for the new beginning in Tampa and I saw people liked it from there as well and if you want us to share it if you want uh, other New Japan groups that we're affiliated associated with to share it we will get on it just send it to us we'll get the word out there if you you know whatever you need um, we're, we're here for you guys free of charge because we're the <laughs> ace of podcasts yes hit your boys up so yeah so new beginning in Tampa at the Coliseum uh, we're having a reported attendance of 863 I would say it's about right because um, I looked at the uh, f- at the chart for the show and I think they were situated for I don't have the exact number but it's around twelve to thirteen total. 
and it definitely wasn't completely sold out, but it was fairly close. I would have guessed around between eight and nine hundred. So that sounds right to yeah. me. So yeah, it was a pretty nice little house there. Um, so if we had a question here from Reddit user psan ninety one said, "How was the crowd reaction at the Tampa show? Was it similar to a New Japan crowd in Japan, or was there lots of American wrestling chants?" Um, I would say it's a good mix of the two. Um, it definitely wasn't so much like a, a Japanese crowd to where everyone was quiet and all that, but it was a very respectful crowd. Yeah, I say overall, definitely the majority of the fan base. You can tell that they're fans of New Japan and kind of understand kind of the layout of the shows. It wasn't overly loud. There wasn't a bunch of, you know, both these guys and, you know, the, the normal, like, no. indie chants that you normally hear. But at the same time, I mean, we, we are a Western crowd. So there was appropriate chants, Right, know? I mean, there was, you know, the Too Sweet, whoop, whoop, when the uh, Bullet Club was out there. There was a Bread Club Bread chant Club, yeah. for Kojima. Tanahashi, you right. know, everybody. And, and you know, what? another thing, too, is that the performers know that they're working in America, and they would actually queue up a lot of those chants themselves. Right. They kind of expect it being, from what I understand, but... um. The crowd was hot. Real, I mean, one of the best crowds in in the Florida area that I've ever been a part of. Yeah, um, just very, very positive. You didn't there. You know what's funny? Um, most shows, you always get that stereotypical dickhead, somebody that's in the in the crowd that just ruins it for everybody, and the whole crowd has to kind of like shout them down. It happens right. all the time. That did not exist in this show at all. Yeah, all the chants were respectful and kind of fit with the flow of the show, the atmosphere. Yeah, there was no one guy that was trying to, like, get himself over. Like, everything was great. No, the crowd was, like, very good at actively participating. Um, it, w it was one of the most positive, like, uh, viewing experiences I've ever had watching uh, a wrestling show. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a... New Japan Mark, even though I am, objectively speaking, it was a really, really good time, really good crowd. Yeah. Also, I have a question here from Reddit user Just a Little Bear Zero One. Although this year is doing much better than last year, do you feel the new beginning USA tours are snake bit? My God, this year between Frederick's injury and Ibushi's flu. So I don't know if Ibushi got the flu before or after we recorded last week, but Kota Ibushi was pulled. From the new beginning in USA tour due to the flu. I actually have an update on him a little bit later in the news. And then also it came out that Carl Fredericks got injured after the Nashville show. He's off of the rest of the tour. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Um, thankfully, we did get to see Fredericks in action, which was pretty great. But, uh, you know, I, I feel bad that a lot of fans obviously wanted to see him perform. They're not going to get to see him. Hopefully he's uh, not hurt too. He's not too banged up, you know. Um but that is unfortunate because that, that's a missed opportunity there, uh, you know, unfortunately. Yeah, and also, you know, Fabushi being off the tour as well, that's, you know, arguably one of the biggest stars next to Tanahashi that was on this tour. And, you know, people, obviously, everybody wanted a chance to see Ibushi if you've never seen Ibushi live. I mean, he's, he's phenomenal. And so that was also kind of a big, you know, sore spot on the show. But... At the end of the day, the main event still went off great. Like I, I like, loved the main event. Like I would like obviously if Ibushi was there, it, was, it would have been great too. But even without Ibushi, I think the whole show went off well, and the main event went off well also. Yeah, the the show was very, very, very a great presentation. The venue was great. Uh, I mean, I really have no complaints about the show in a nutshell as a personal viewing experience. I think. Um, to answer this question, though, when you talk about the tours being snake bit, um, 
I don't know if I'd call it that. I don't know if I'd say it's cursed or anything of that nature, but I think that there are some bad judgment calls being uh, put forth when it comes to, and again, we've been saying it all year. I think when it comes to the U.S. expansion, there's a lot of missteps. Um, you know, no one could have predicted the sickness or this injury, you know, so I, I'm not going to uh, go too hard at New Japan for, right, it's for that. Better than a visa issue. Right, but there are other things um you know, I think one of the biggest things is New Japan being so hot just a few years ago and then now in 2020 running a you know, an 800 crowd in the states. Now, there's some good and some bad to that. I mean, on the positive side like comparatively speaking, I don't know too many companies that actually could come to Tampa or St. Pete and run, you know, close to 900 people. Right. Uh, other than AEW and WWE, <laughs> who would probably do way bigger numbers than that, obviously. But, um, you know, I don't think Impact could. Um, I don't think ROH is going to right now. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but other, than, I mean, MLW? May, I don't know. Mm, probably not. Yeah. Maybe. I guess depending on who's on the card, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of the bigger, like, Evolve doesn't do that. FIP doesn't do that. WWN, just across the board, no. Uh, none of the local indies do. So, I mean, you know, right. That That's kind of, that's one thing, but, um, you know, I was listening to one show and, um, someone had basically said, well, what's better, you know, running one show that's a, like a 5,000 seater or, or what's more profitable per se, or maybe like seven shows that are averaging like seven or 800, you know, right. Long term. And I got to tell you, I think there's a good chance that running the 5,000-seat arena and doing one big show is maybe more profitable. And the reason I say it is this. Um, this company needs a TV deal. Um, when you look at what uh, AEW was able to generate off the heels of one show, a.k.a. All In, and the perception of what they did and the presentation of it, they were able to kind of showcase that to investors and, you know, uh, TV stations and leverage that into something greater. And I think that um, you show if you would have shown somebody the New Japan product with access tied to it from two or three years ago when they were doing Long Beach, yeah, you could probably get some sort of television off of that, most likely, or, or at least even draw more interest from fans. I think most people who go on to New Japan World when this eventually goes up and watch it will probably be very like taken back because even though the show was great, the the actual quality of the uh, video and all that's probably not going to be up to par with what we're used to from New Japan. They're probably not going to be able to parlay that into any realistic like television deals in the States. And I think that's the difference between you, you compare this to like say NWA Power, which comes off in a small studio looking like world class you know what i mean right i think they need to focus a little bit more on that yeah i think they need to move away from doing the whole house shore tour model here in the states i like the idea of having your kind of key markets but i do too do like four shows within in the year pick one of those markets and rotate throughout those markets as you're going because think about it if they had did a bigger show just in the southeast like just one show then you would have had people from all those different cities that they're going to traveling to the one spot. You know, I got to tell you, I, I don't 
think that's a terrible idea, but long term, I, I don't know. I, I look at like the UFC's business model, right? The UFC does one big show maybe every couple years, once a year in most markets outside of like the bigger markets they run, you know, Boston, Philly, Vegas, New York, you know, LA, that sort of stuff. Um, but they're, because the product presentation is of such high caliber, when they do come, they do big numbers and they're able to parlay that into television and streaming service deals to make them tons of money in those markets. I think that that's what this company needs. Uh, it's not a good look to be running 800 seat buildings when, you know, AW's drawing, you know, so like what, between five and 10,000, same thing with WWE on, on any average. On average, yeah. Yeah, that, it makes it look minor league. The other thing, too, is I think that there's a problem with them being spread too thin. You know, um, granted, we made the case the other week. I was like, you know, you look at the kind of buildings they're going to run here and the same and the and the time of year that they're going to run them. That we weren't going to be getting, you know, Naito, Okada, uh, <laughs> you know, right. LIJ, um, the all-star cast, you know, you, you're just, you're not, you know, Jay White, you're not getting all that. But at the same time, like, to get people really invested in the States, if you really want to do this touring model and make people want to come back and everything like that, I do think you have to give them more value than this. Like, the people that bought these tickets, in my opinion, for the most part, like, the majority, and I'm even, let's be, let's say it was, um, let's be a little gracious here and, uh, or generous and say 80% of the people who went to this are either peripherally aware of new Japan or like big fans, probably it's probably realistically less than this, but let's say only 20% of those people um, were, were, are like casuals or right. don't even know about it. I mean, what's 20% of 800, 160, something like that. You know, is that going to move the needle long-term for your long-term business plans you know, a couple hundred people here and there, like that's in, in this modern age with social media and television and all that, you, you need something more than that. This is like, this is such a antiquated model. It just isn't going to, to do anything. You know what I mean? Right. I they definitely should not be running USA tours alongside Japanese tours. And if they are, I feel like the roster is big enough to where they could have sent a few more stars over. I feel like well, this should, was an afterthought, right? You should it's have very clear. You should have representation of every faction. I think on both tours, all it's, all the factions are big enough to split them and have a certain half of chaos here and half of chaos in Japan. I mean, I think there's something to be said for them. Maybe just testing the waters. I think maybe this is them seeing what they can and can't get away with when it comes to these tours. You know, yeah. Um, if they're happy with these numbers, it's fine. I just I think that New Japan could be much bigger than what they currently are and do better business in the States. I don't know if running little tours like this is the way to go. I, I think that there is something to be said for you go to a big market, you market it for a long time, you build it up as part of the actual storylines. Right. And, and you do the new beginning in, in Orlando or the new beginning in Atlanta, Atlanta or New York or something like that. And then people will come to it. You know what I mean? Right. If you're running like if you if you ran like Tanahashi and Naito, or I'm not saying they're going to do that, but if they ran something like that, they would draw. You know what I mean? And it, it would be like that MSG show. Like, um, 
and you know they don't have to run like the uh, the Sears Center or what was it that that we went to in uh, Dallas? Oh, the um, was it the American Airlines yeah. Center? They don't have to run run the American Airlines Center, but there are buildings that are appropriate, similar to like the long like the one they ran in Long Beach that are like right. five thousand. If, if they can find a five thousand seater building, that's the perfect size. And like we've mentioned before in the past, like they need to build these shows in as a part of like the viewing calendar as major shows. So like this should be like almost like a pay per view style show that fits into the calendar and that rivalries kind of, um, you know, climax and either, you know, begin or end at these shows. I mean, it's cool if you're like, if you're a local wrestling fan and they come to your town, just like it was for us, it was really exciting. It was fun. But we also knew at the end of the day that there was almost no actual storyline implications of what happened on these shows. And even if there was, it was so peripheral and just like nuanced that, you don't have to even watch this show to actually be invested in the product whatsoever. Um, the quality of the matches was really high, but the significance of the show was very low, and that's kind of the trade-off there, and it's kind of that kind of sucks. Right. Uh, next question we had from Sir Sam. He said, who surprised you with their performance live? Um, did, did anybody surprise you with their performance live? I don't know if any, you, you know what, for me, really only a couple people surprised me. Not to say that I wasn't impressed, but like, I'm always surprised by the Young Lions. And Nagata and Kojima really performed well. Yeah, they the, definitely turned it up. Those are the guys that like surprised me personally. Uh, this is my first time seeing Alex Zane live. Um, I thought he was pretty impressive, some of the... Um, just high flying and stuff that uh, he was able to do, um, and you know I've I've heard uh, Alex Zane's name come up on the indies. He's kind of one of the top guys in like GCW and uh, you know Florida like backyard legend. Um, you know he's been all over the place. So uh, I mean I thought he was really good. And I, w- I would like to see more of Zane in the future. Yeah, I'd like to see more Zane. Nothing that he did really surprised me. Uh, I, w- I I thought it was fine. Um, I thought him and Jeff Cobb had a a, a good match. Um, but it, it was he. I think he gave me what I was expecting. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Kind of the same thing with Jeff Cobb. Same thing with Tanahashi. Um, you know, pretty much all these guys. Um, even I mean, there was really nothing here that surprised me. I think a lot of it was what I expected. The only big difference was for me, the young lions seemed to be that much more motivated for some reason on this night. Uh, I think. It kind of reminds me of last year for the new beginning in USA tours where they had the visa issues and, you know, Shibata came out and did that speech and said, you know, I am New Japan, Frederick's New Japan, Connors, Clark, you know, all these guys are New Japan. And so they felt, especially I guess Fabushi gone too, they felt the, the pressure of really yeah. turning it up and showing the fans like we are New Japan, we are just as good as the top guys and uh, we are worth the price of admission. Yeah, they, they seemed that much more motivated than maybe even the rest of the roster, which was really great. And then uh, Kojima and Nagata worked really hard in their tag team match, which was uh, great to see. They just seemed really fired up for some reason, even more so than maybe usual. Uh, maybe it's because they, they weren't saddled with Tenzan and Nakanishi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I will say this. Even though I'm, I wasn't surprised by anybody on the roster, everybody on this night was impressive. Yeah, Every yeah. single performance was very impressive. It was a really great show. Yeah, everybody brought their A game from the opening match to the main event. 
Yeah, this was a really easy watch. This was a, a much easier watch than most Road 2 shows that they present, you know. In my opinion, anyways. Yeah. So uh, let's go over the card. Let's give our thoughts real quick. So sure. opening match, we had uh, Mysterioso defeating Clark Connors of a backstabber. Um, do you know anything about Mysterioso? I don't. The first I heard of him was, um, you know, being on these New Japan USA shows. I believe the first show he did was the Lions Break uh, Project 2. And they've kind of been using him here and there on these USA tours. And I've never heard him before this. I don't know his background, where he's come from, but... Um, you know, pretty impressive guy. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, Clark Connors, I thought, was really impressive here. They had a very solid opening match. Um, just thoroughly enjoyable. Everything made sense. Hard hitting. Um, exactly what you'd expect from, a, like, a young lion versus a veteran wrestler type of type of match. It was great. Yeah, I think the only problem here, it seemed like the, the ropes were kind of loose. And Mysterioso was kind of, like, Bumbling a little, or not bumbling, but like slipping a little bit. Yeah, he's had a hard time getting his footing. You know, he did um, you know, a side moon salt to the outside. He did a lion salt on the inside, and uh, both times, look, he's had like a hard time, like just getting that full spring off the ropes. Yeah, but uh, other than that, that's just very good. Then we followed up with uh, Yuji Nagata and Satoshi Kojima defeating the team of Alice Coglin and Ren Narita. Nagata pinned Coglin with the Blue Justice Driver. Yeah, interesting thing. Um. The fans that were there didn't seem, they seemed excited for everything, but they didn't seem to be as excited for the Young Lions as I was. <laughs> <laughs> Did you kind of catch that vibe? I feel, yeah. Like, they were really into Nagata and really into Kojima, but they, like, seemed to not really know who Alex Coughlin was or even Ren Narita, which I I don't know. I mean, like, we've seen some of these Young Lions get cheered on other shows, especially in the States and... uh but uh, this this crowd was like a smarky crowd, but it didn't. It wasn't like a hardcore New Japan crowd necessarily. And I was a little surprised that they weren't like more into seeing the Young Lions. They were really into Nagata and Kojima. Yeah, dude, I was super excited. First time seeing Satoshi Kojima live in action in the ring. Me too, dude. I was freaking marking out like a little kid. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Kojima live. I was that that was awesome. You know what? Uh, have we ever seen Nagata? I, I don't think I've seen Nagata live either. Yeah, uh, so I don't yeah, think I have. So either. yeah, that was awesome. And yeah, just seeing you know the machine gun chops in the corner, the Koji cutter. Uh, the strongest arm. It was just uh, awesome. Just kind of fan experience there. Just you know, seeing you know these living legends uh, live and you know, young lions brought it. Coglin, man, he was uh, tearing away at uh, Kojima's chest with those chops. Man. His chest was brutalized. And uh, Narita looked great uh, as well. You know we've on this show praised Narita uh, from the very beginning, and he did great here. Narita. The more I watch him, the more I, I'm getting the feeling that like he might start to take on some of the. Uh, Aspects that Shibata used to like portray or embody. You know what I mean? I don't know why I'm starting to get before I I used to think that eventually they'd turn him into like a sniveling heel because he kind of has like a uh, dislikable face. Yeah, <laughs> sort of like um like uh got like Tai Chi, but lately he like I don't know man something about him like this ruggedness and like working with uh. Shibata like I'm starting to see a lot more Shibata in him uh, he's not as crazy as Shibata was but like yeah I don't know I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we kind of saw that down the line yeah um, definitely you know, that definitely that that Shibata influence is definitely you can see it's kind of rubbing off on Narita uh, so yeah it'll be interesting to see how he continues to develop and just how um, yeah, he progresses from here 
After that, we had Colt Cabana, Colt Cabana and Torriano uh, defeating TJP and Carl Fredericks. Um, I thought this match was pretty good, really funny. Um, yeah, Cabana was super over. Cabana was, yeah, and that's what I meant when it was like, it was a smarky crowd. Like, there was more people who knew Colt Cabana than like... The Young Lions. Yeah. yeah. Or even a lot of the New Japan roster seemed like, like he was really over. Yeah, he was definitely one of the most over guys. You know, big, huge Cabana chants and... Uh, I think the crowd tro- really enjoyed the Cabana Yano antics. If you watch the World Tag League, it was much of the same kind of the antics. You know, the you go, you know, you go. Yeah, and, I love that. And just different uh, comedy stuff. And you know, one goes on the top rope, and the other guy's holding the opponent, and they're too far away. It's like come a little bit closer, a little bit closer. So just all that kind of antics they were doing. You know, what? you want to know something? I've never really been a Cole Cabana guy. Really? I mean, I think Cole Cabana is great. Like, I'm not like. I don't hate him or anything. Like, I'm not, like, I don't, like, uh, you know, be like, oh, God, another Colt Cabana match. Like, it's not like that. But I've never been that that jazzed for Colt Cabana ever. I mean, like, even in ROH. I wouldn't say he's, like, one of my favorite wrestlers ever, but I've always been entertained with him. I always thought that, you know, he had a great spot on the card. Uh, I remember some of those tag matches he had with CM Punk back in the day. And overall, I think he's a really technically sound guy. And I think, uh, especially now as he's kind of dove more into the comedy wrestling kind of role, over the last decade or so, I think he's really great at it. You know, there's some guys who try comedy, and they're it's just they're not good. It's not funny, but I think Cabana does a great job. Yeah, I think the only time I was ever really, really into Cole Cabana was, like, when he was wrestling Adam Pearce mm. in that series. And that's, like... For the uh, NWA title. Yeah, that's about it. Like, I've never really been that big... Even when he... Even the Second City Saints, I was just not really that into it. But, uh... This was fine. Uh, I thought it was good. Um, TJP and Carl Fredericks both looked really good as well. Um... You know, it was great to see Carl Fredericks out there. Uh, uh, TJP got some good crowd reactions, too. Yep, yep, definitely. Um, you know, that's an, that's another guy that people know. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, Cole Cabana hit that Superman pin, and you know once he hits the Superman pin, the it's, most, it's a wrap. Most dangerous move in professional wrestling. Yeah, it's like it goes like, you know, the Blade Runner, King Kong knee drop, Superman pin, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, like, the fault light drop. Oh <laughs> uh, man, so yeah, so good stuff there. Then we and then the one winged angel. <laughs> uh, so next we had Jeff Cobb defeating Alex Zane, Cobb pinning Zane with the tour of the islands. Uh, this was good. This was sort of like a toned down Jeff Cobb uh, PWG style matchup. Um, nothing blow away, but very good, uh, very exciting. I I thought Alex Zane was very impressive. Um, yeah, nothing bad to say here. Yeah, Zayn looked really good. Uh, he's a guy I would like to see in best of the Super Juniors, and uh, I don't, I don't know if he's up to that caliber. Well, I mean, honestly, this is my first kind of seeing of him. I mean, I yeah. would see more, but I, I think based on what I hear, I think he he might be able to hang in best of Super Juniors. Uh, but I definitely like to see more of him. I thought his uh, shooting star knees um, to to Cobb was pretty cool. Yes. Um, so yeah, definitely would like to see more of Zayn in the future. Yep, and then. Um, we had the uh, sacrificial lamb Yoshihashi <laughs> brought out to uh, take on uh, Lance Archer, who we'll be talking about more about later uh, later on in the show. But uh, Archer Yoshihashi, uh, it was pretty good. It was fine. Yeah, it was a good match. Uh, you know, Archer, he, like, cut a promo before the match. Also, he, he's trying to get heat because I think in his mind he knows that people were going to cheer him over Yoshihashi. So he, he tried to get heat so that way we could get behind Yoshihashi and, you know, he can be the heel and get the heat. 
And I know I thought he did a good job for the most part. The crowd was behind Yoshihashi, and there was a lot of Yoshihashi chants, and they were kind of taking his side over Archer. Uh, but not the- I. <laughs> but I, I didn't. I, I just uh, abstained. I, I didn't. I didn't cheer Archer. I was respectful, but I definitely didn't cheer Yoshihashi. You know, I, I just went with the flow. I cheered Yoshihashi. <laughs> you know, I was trying to be you know a good crowd member, go along with the show. Um, you know. Give give the man something, man. He he needs something. So, uh, you know, Yoshi he, he fought his hardest, but he could not overcome the Murder Hawk monster. He fell to the EBD claw. Yep. And then the main event was a eight man tag elimination match. We saw the team of Hiroshi Tanahashi, Rocky Romero, and Finn Juice defeating Chase Owens, uh, Yujiro Takahashi, and Gorillas of Destiny. And um, this was definitely the highlight of the show. Um, if you were asking for match recommendations, this is the only match I'd like to say go out of your way to really check it. I mean, check out the show. Show's an easy watch, but this was the highlight of the show. Very, very, very good match. Um, they went like almost 30 minutes, I think. Yeah, I think it was like 25 minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, they got a lot of time and, um, told a really good story. Everybody played their role really well. And, uh, yeah, I just, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, great. This was your favorite match type. These multi-man elimination over the top rope style uh, matches. And, you know, that over the top rope just adds another layer of drama to the match. Like somebody goes over the top, that's it. They're eliminated. So it it adds more drama besides the pinfall and submission. Um, All eight guys looked really good here. You know, the one plus about Ibushi being sick is we didn't have to see Giotto wrestle in this (laughs) match. Um, But, yeah, overall... All eight guys worked really hard, and it was a really fun main event. Uh, came down to um, Tanahashi was left one-on-two with Yujiro and Chase Owens. Um, then he was able to eliminate Chase, and then he pinned Yujiro with the high-fly flow. And it ended up with uh, Hiroshi and Yujiro last because they had a match coming up at New Beginning in Nashville. So they were trying to build that program there, but Tanahashi gets the win. Yeah, and you know one thing, I, one reason I like the over the top element when it comes to these matches is because, you know, it's not believable necessarily that Yujiro is going to pin a Tanahashi necessarily, but it's not unbelievable, and we've seen it in other matches where a top guy can get eliminated via over the top, right? And it sort of protects them, but also gives a rub to the lower like booked uh, star who might get a, get a victory that way, and we've seen that before, so it adds a added layer of intrigue that you don't normally exp- like for instance if this is a straight and we're and i think they're doing this again on the same tour but when it's a straight eight-man tag you know that chase is or yujiro probably gonna eat that pinfall but in this case you know the even though it's not likely is it possible that he goes over the top rope absolutely it's just like royal rumble and so i've always liked that aspect to it but um you know, the, one of the things that I thought really was worth noting here was how over everybody in this match was. I mean, G.O.D. were especially got a huge ovation when they came out for the Bullet Club. Obviously, uh, Tanahashi got great reactions. Rocky Romero as well. Finn Juice. Um, so, I mean, these were definitely like the shining stars of the tour. They got the biggest pops and um, match was really great. Yeah, really great stuff. Whenever this airs on New Japan World, definitely, definitely uh, recommend checking it out. Yeah, the ace rides again, gets to win. Uh, post match, he does the the closing speech. Says that he he will be back for Lions Break 
Project 3, which will be happening here in Tampa in April during WrestleMania weekend, a part of WrestleCon. And then he also says that he wants to defeat Naito to become double champion. Yeah, so, um, you know, we have kind of touched base how they started to kind of like allude to a potential feud between these two guys during the um, Fantastic Mania tour. And, um, you know, there might have even been a little bit of a breadcrumb trail being left behind during the uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed in the U.S. or in uh, Northeast tour. Is that what oh, yeah, yeah, and, uh, Philly, yeah, that Philly, New York run, Boston, yeah. What was that tour called? Yeah, Fighting Spirit Unleashed. Yeah. So, I mean, um, they, you know, um, when Tanahashi got beat, did Tanahashi get beat by Naito? Or did he- Tanahashi pinned Naito. Okay, yeah, Tanahashi pinned Naito, which was like, people were like, why did, why did they do that? Now that they might be leading to a program between the two guys, it's starting to make a little bit more sense. Right. And Naito mentioned that in the post-match after night one of Fantastic Mania, saying that, you know, Tanahashi, I didn't forget you pinned me. In whatever city it was, I think it was Philadelphia, and so yeah, definitely you know playing the seeds for a big Tanahashi Naito match, uh, maybe Dominion, maybe Secure Genesis. We'll see. You. So since then, there's been one other new beginning um, uh, in the USA show. It was the show from Nashville. Uh, quick rundown of the results: Alex Zane and Mysterioso Jr. defeated Alex Coughlin and Renarita at 9:46. Um, Yoshihashi defeated Carl Fredericks. Colt Cabana and Toriano defeated Clark Connors and TJP. Jeff Cobb defeated Satoshi Kojima in a 10-minute match, which probably is pretty great. Um, Lance Archer defeated Yuji Nagata at 11 minutes and 16 seconds. Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Yujiro Takahashi at 10 minutes 38, which we don't know much about the shows, but I did hear that that is a highlight of the show, is Tanahashi and Yujiro, and it's... Uh, it's it's like the the annual good Ujiro match they usually <laughs> get, and then um, the final match was six man tag. Finn Juice and Rocky Romero defeated the Bull Club. Chase Owens, Tamatanga, Tangaloa at thirteen minutes and fifty two seconds. Yeah, and we're getting some conflicted reports about the attendance of this event. Um, according to CageMatch.net, the attendance for this show was five hundred and sixty, but on Wrestling Observer Radio, Dave Meltzer said that he was hearing. It was close to a thousand, so I'm not sure where the miscommunication is. I'm sure some some updated numbers will come out. I mean, the show just happened what last night. Yeah, and I mean that's another thing. Um, It's interesting that they decided to run opposite Royal Rumble. Mm, Yeah, probably not a good idea. You know, I mean, not necessarily. It's not in the same market. I get it and all that, but it's like. If you're just gonna depend on your fan base to come out, fine. But if you know, if you were hoping to maybe get that casual wrestling fan audience to come out for a special attraction show like this, maybe don't run it on the night of the Royal Rumble. That's probably not a good idea. Right, yeah. Second biggest, you know, pair of you in WWE. You know, even casuals who don't watch Ron Smith every week, they always tune in for Royal Rumble. It's the Royal Rumble, you right. know? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't really get excited for much Throughout the calendar year, but I get it. I, at this point, I get more excited for Royal Rumble than even WrestleMania, to be honest. Pretty much, yeah, same here. So, yeah, definitely they should have thought about that. It's just like last year when they were going to try and run something on Super Bowl weekend. Well, Super Bowl weekend is next weekend. Are they still going to be running till then? No, well, Sapporo's next weekend. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, any final thoughts on this uh, new beginning USA tour before we go? Uh, overall, like we said, I thought the Tampa show was very good. I had a great time um, watching the show. Oh, we ran into listeners of the show. At, we, at, yeah, we did. Um, Twitter follower um, Omega Goon and um, his wife. We met them. That that tripped me out. Yeah, just um, 
you know, I expected to meet people that listened to the show or interacted with us at our fan meetup, but you know, you never know when you're at a show whether whether or not you're gonna like run into people. And not that I expect that or even hope for it, but like it always catches me by surprise. Right. And um, yeah, when like someone was wearing our shirt, like I was like, oh, that's really cool in Tampa, you know. Right. Yeah. Honestly, like I wasn't really expecting to get stopped much because like just based on our numbers, looking at like the analytics, like believe it or not, like Tampa is not one of our biggest. Listen to cities, even though we're based here. Uh, no, but yeah, so it was pretty cool seeing somebody else wearing a Keeping a Strong Style shirt and longtime listeners of the show, and they listen yeah, to Keeping and, a Strong Style on Nation Radio. And, and if you guys are, if you guys interact with us, and we're meeting you in real life, and we only know you by your Twitter Twitter handle, you should tell us who your tw- your Twitter name or your like Reddit name, because I did not know that that was Omega Goon. Like I didn't know it at first. I didn't either. know it until later, and then I was like, wait. That's Omega Goon. I was yeah, like, this guy's been like retweeting and liking pretty much like, every bro, single post since day one. Since day one, and like he was just like, "Yeah, long time listener." I'm like, "Oh, it's so great to meet you." If he would have been like, "I'm Omega Goon," I would have been like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was really cool though. And then um, another listener of the show, Aaron. I That's right. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah. I didn't even really get to interact with him. Like he just came up. He's like. You wouldn't be the young boy, are you? And I, like, I was like, yeah. And then he's like, here, uh, he gave us a, a nice little gift. And, uh, you know, um, Aaron, those uh, what what you gave us what, uh, was given away. It went to uh, good use. I'm pretty, I'm, well, it will be anyways. But, um, yeah, that was really, I, I would have liked to interact even more than that. But it yeah, was I really did, cool. I did get a chance to meet Aaron at the Ring of Honor Lakeland show. I think that was gotcha. last year, uh, two years ago. I can't remember exactly when. But, yeah, cool dude. And so, yeah, it's always great to, you know, meet people who listen to the show, put some, you know, faces behind names. Yeah, I'd like to, um, hopefully, when they run here in April, we can interact with more New Japan fans and kind of even build upon what we've done here. We've got some stuff in the works. We'll, we'll talk to you guys about it. But. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, overall, great time at New Beginning in USA. Looking forward to Lines Break Project 3 coming here a few months away in April. So now we're going to move on. We got New Beginning in Sapporo, two nights on Saturday and Sunday. Yes. Going to run down the cards and kind of give our predictions for each night. So we'll start off with night one, opening up with a tag match between Tiger Mask and Yu Yamura versus the Bullet Club team of El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori. Yep, so um, your standard open opening match with... Uh you know, a legend, young lion versus an established tag team. It's pretty clear here. Bullet Club is going to pick up the win, um, but this might be better. Like that's a pretty good matchup, honestly, on paper. Yeah, I mean, if Tiger Mask brings it, it'll be good. And you know, Yamura always has been on fire lately. Yamura's really gotten good, and I'd like to. I like to see him interact with Phantasma and Ishimori for sure. Um, so this should be a pretty good opener. Obviously, Bull Club's picking up the win here, though. Yeah, I'm going Bull Club, and it makes me think, too, that they're probably trying to start heating up uh, ELP and Taiji for an eventual uh, junior tag title rematch. Okay. After that, we have a six-man tag team. Or <laughs> tag team. Uh, no, there's no time. Okay. Yeah, it's a six-man tag match. Yeah, but for some reason, I kept saying tag. I was going to say title for some reason. It kept tripping me up. Six-man tag team match. Uh, <laughs> Hiroshi Tenzan, Manabu Nakanishi, and Yota Suji taking on the team of Tohinare, Makabe, and Tomoki Hanma. And um, what do you think here? Let's see. Um, I think the Tohinare team is going to get the win here. I think Hanare is going to pin Suji. We've kind of been seeing this rivalry been building between Suji and Hanare. They've mm. had... 
uh, several matches against each other on multi-man tags. They recently had a singles match. What was that, New Year's Dash? Did they have a singles match? Yes. So, yeah, so they've kind of been having this, a very similar rivalry as Toa, Hanari, and Ishii kind of. Was it New Year's Dash? I can't remember. Was it, was, I feel was like it Fantastic Mania? No, I don't think so. Toa, Hanari wasn't on no. the tour. Was it, was it Road to Tokyo, Tokyo Dome? It might have been Road to Tokyo Yeah. Dome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with you. Um, you know, during Wrestle Kingdom, I took the uh, – there was a similar matchup here, and I took the uh, Togi Makabe team, and Hanari was on the opposite end. But in this case, I get the best of both worlds. So whether it's a, a King Kong knee drop or a toe bottom, you've got two strong finishers there on the one side versus, I mean, I guess Tenzan or could pick up a win. But, uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to see Hanari and uh, uh, Great Bash Shield pick up a win here. Definitely. So we move on. We got eight man tag action. Chaos team of Rapungi 3K and Will Ospreay teaming up with Risuke Taguchi to take on the Suzuki team of Doki, El Esperado, Yoshinobu Kanamaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. And here they're building up that uh, Rev Pro British title match between Sabre and Ospreay, also building up the junior tag title match with Rapungi 3K and um, Desperado and Kanamaru. Yeah, you know, on paper, this is a really good-looking match. Um, keep in mind, though, it is a Suzuki-Gun match, so it'll probably be privy to all the, you know, different uh, match tropes that we've become accustomed to when it comes to these types of matches. That being said, this might this will probably be decent, um, but I think it's pretty clear that we've got Doki on one side, and he's the clear pin-eater here, so... Logic tells me Chaos is going to pick up the win here. I could be wrong, but that seems to be the way to go. Yeah, I'm going Chaos also. I mean, Doki got pinned every single night of the Fantastic Mania Tour, getting pinned by non-New Japan guys. So That's political, though. <laughs> uh, I think it makes a ton of sense that he's going to be the one to eat the pinfall here. Then the Chaos team will get momentum going into the matches. After that, we have a tag team match. Robbie Eagles and Ryu Lee teaming up to take on the LIJ team of Bushi and Hiromu Takahashi. Dude, this could be really great. That's a great matchup. Um, we've never seen Eagles and Ryuli team together, so um, Bushi and Hiromu, longtime tag team partners, so there's going to be an element of sort of like unfamiliarity, unexpectedness. they got the element of surprise taking on a well-established tag team who you know mesh and work really well together. I don't know what to think about this match exactly, but I think it is interesting that Robbie Eagles was the last man to to uh, pin Hiromu Takahashi, and you know him teaming up with Ryu Lee. Uh, obviously, they're going into the uh, title match for later on this tour between Ryu Lee and Hiromu Takahashi. I think that's an interesting storytelling element. What do you think? Yeah, as far as the prediction, yeah, I'm thinking that it would make a lot of sense for Robbie Eagles to kind of get the pinfall here, seeing as he did pin Hiromu in that Birds of Prey versus LIJ match and kind of continue to build up Eagles as that next challenger. Do you think he beats Bushi or Hiromu? See, that's the thing I've been thinking about. I think he beats Bushi. Yeah, it probably makes more sense to beat Bushi, especially since he's a champion now and he's going to be defending against Ryu Lee coming up. So you have him pin Bushi, and then once again, he can be like, you know what, I pinned Hiromu, I've pinned Bushi, I've pinned you know, two for former junior champions, two former junior tag champions, you know, I deserve my singles match. Yeah, you know, in most cases, looking at the talent lineup, I'd probably always go Ryu Lee and Robbie Eagles just because Bushi's the weaker of the four. But when you take into account 
the fact that Robbie Eagles has a recent pinfall victory over Hiromu. Um, I mean, you could hypothetically, you could have Hiromu beat Robbie. Right. And then that kind of makes Robbie Eagles' win from earlier during uh, Road to Tokyo Dome sort of null and void at that point, I suppose. But at the same time, um, that would kind of stop him in his tracks, and it seems like they want to build him up as a future challenger. So, yeah, I think that makes the most sense. You have Robbie Eagles beat Bushi, keep him looking strong. Um, now he's pinned both Hiromu and Bushi. Now he's viable for down the line. And uh, I can't wait. You know, uh, this will be the first time that we've seen Riley and Hiromu head-to-head in a matchup since uh, that fateful night when uh, Hiromu's neck was broken. So, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a really fun, high-flying matchup. You know, Rich Ladder Pro Wrestling written all over it. Really looking forward to it. So far, this is a really good-looking New Beginning show. Yeah. And uh, following that tag match, we have another tag match with Bullet Club representing Jay White and Kenta to take on the LIJ team of... uh, it's not right. Of Lij team of Naito, Bushi pulling uh, double duty on this no. evening. Lij team of uh, Sonata and Naito. <laughs> I was like, why they got Bushi in there again? <laughs> um, yeah. So this is a obviously uh, Tetsuya Naito and Kenta will be facing off uh, in the main event of New Beginning in what Osaka? Yes. Um, for the double title championship, and um, Sonata and Jay White will be facing off in singles action. So. This is a preview match for that. This is the first time we've ever seen Jay White and Kenta work hand-in-hand as the de facto leaders uh, or top two guys in Bullet Club. So that there's an interesting element there. I don't know what it's going to be like to see them uh, kind of working together. And they, they teamed at the New Year's Dash, didn't they? Mm, I don't remember New Year's Dash at this point. Like They might have, but who did they wrestle? I don't remember. Naito and Sonata. I think it's the same match. Oh, is it? <laughs> oh, I guess you're right. My bad. The <laughs> Sonata pin Jay White. Literally, like, so much wrestling happened that week. And I remember at one point someone asked me, like, what happened on New Year's Dash? Bro, I don't. <laughs> I kind of don't remember. Like, it's, 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 and sometimes people say that sort of thing and, like, they don't mean it. Like, I kind of really don't remember New Year's Dash. It's kind of weird. Um, it, it's, it's a mind meld at this point. But, uh, Okay, so this is a rematch of the match we saw during <laughs> New Year's Dash, but um, uh, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Jeremy, what do you think? <laughs> so uh, Lij got the win last time. Sonata right. pinning Jay White. So I'm gonna go a little fifty-fifty booking here. I'm gonna think that Bullet Club will get the win here. Um, this is a very tough one because you have four very strong individuals in Sonata. Naito, White, and Kenta. Um, this is a hard one to, to actually predict, honestly. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It's a great tag team match on paper. Very, very. It's very seldom that we get a tag team match with stars this big. That's this hard to kind of predict. Right. There's no clear pin eater on either side. No, not at all. And that that's going to make this very intriguing. Um, I will. I'll go with Jay White and Kenta to build up some heel heat. And um, who's taking that fall? You think Sonata or Naito? I would say Sonata. Jay getting his revenge on Sonata. That makes sense. Okay. I'll, I'll ride with you. <laughs> After that, we have a tag team match. Uh, John Moxley teaming up with Kazushika Okada, the Rainmaker. They're taking on the Suzuki Goon team of Minoru Suzuki and Lord Emperor Taichi. 
Yeah, this is another, you know, great tag match here with four big stars. Yes. Um, first time we'll be seeing John Moxley teaming up with Okada. We're going to be seeing... With, with anybody other than Shooter. Sure. Right, yeah. We're going to be seeing a lot more of Moxley this year in New Japan. the start of it right here. So, it's going to be very interesting. Also going to be interesting to see if he's going to continue to sell the eye injury that he's currently selling in AEW <laughs> with the, uh, the Jericho... What happened uh, to his eye? Oh, they, they spiked his eye, didn't they? Yeah, Jericho ripped off a spike of his jacket and stabbed him in the eye. Okay. I, I'm, like, peripherally aware of what's going on, sort of. And so, yeah, last he, week... He, he's trying to look like Big Boss right now, basically, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, last week he wrestled against Pac. He had his whole face pretty much taped up, covering the eye. Um, That's cool. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he continues to sell that. I think he should wrestle the rest of his career with the eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> um, was, I don't know. I, I saw John Moxley doing karaoke. Was he wearing the eye patch? He was. He, okay. the, the whole cruise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I do remember um, there was recently another semi-famous uh, eye injury angle that a, a wrestler was wearing eye patch. And uh, like they're on TV and they had their eye patch on the one side. And then we went to an indie show and they had their eye patch on the other on the other eye. We're like, "Yo, wasn't it your other eye that got injured?" <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, good looking out." And, then, and they moved it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say any names. A pretty prominent wrestler, actually, that we know. But uh, yeah, good a good friend of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Some funny stuff. Yeah, so this is a very interesting match. Once again, no really clear pin eater here. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, a lot of people will say Tai Chi. But he has a match in the main event against Okada the next night. So it's like, I don't know if you want to completely just beat him and make him look weak going into that match. I know it's a little bit of a cop-out, but I don't know how strong the victories are going to be in either of these two matches. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we see some sort of like... Distraction finishes, ref bump finishes, something shenanigan laced, maybe even a count out or EQ. DQ. These are all viable things that could happen. Also, John Moxley and Kazushi Okada have never been on the same team together. Uh, they, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some level of miscommunication or even hostility between them. Um, you know, nothing really has been there to indicate to me that John Moxley and Okada are going to get along and be great friends. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, that's one thing to kind of look out for. Um, but I will go with, um, I'm going to go with Moxley and Okada kind of against my better judgment. I just think that's a lot of heat to put on the show if Suzuki Goon and Bullet Club both win. But um, I don't know how it's going to get done. I mean, I think Moxley's, I don't know, man. This is a hard no. I'm going with the hot take. I'm going with Tai Chi pitting Okada. I don't know if it's going to be clean. He might hit him with the iron claw while the ref is down, but Tai Chi is going to get the pin over Okada leading into night two. All right, you sold me. <laughs> you sold me. All right, that that kind of does make the most sense, so that's fine. And then we have the semi. People will lose their minds. I know. Pe- People I, will lose their minds. I can already. Pi- I can already picture James Boyd. Tai Chi pinned Okada. <laughs> I I'll just say this: if you have the take that Tai Chi can't beat a top guy in New Japan in 2020, you haven't been watching. Yeah. Period. So now we have the uh, the semi main event: Tomohiro Ishii versus Evil. Boy, boy, boy. Yeah, this is a great uh, matchup. We these guys wrestled last year on one of the major shows in the first half of the year. Wasn't it a uh, Dontaku? It was Dontaku. 
good, great memory, Jeremy. <laughs> um, yeah, Ishii and Evil put on a fantastic match last year on Dantaku. Um, fans of the show will know that I'm not the biggest Evil fan in the world, but when it's him and Ishii, strong style division, the Carl Gotch, Carl Gotch's pro wrestling. Um, actually, it's really not, <laughs> but that's just what we say. But uh, yeah, Ishii and Evil, man, this is going to freaking rule. Um, this, this is a great card. Yeah, I mean, I think this match, the, the the last year's match, I think it was a strong style candidate, right? It, it definitely was. Yeah, yeah. We, we had that nominated, and that match that match was fantastic. And yeah. I, I can't imagine. I mean, it's, it's Tomohiro Ishii. Enough said. Right, and then and for whatever reason, Evil just seems really motivated when he's in there with Ishii. And you got just two hosses are going to slug it out. You're going to see tons of forearms, tons of lariats, um, tons of fighting spirit, big moves, kicking out at one, firing up. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, as far as predictions, I'm going evil. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm going evil as well. You know, they just never really seem to have much for Ishii. <laughs> uh, I might... My my heart is telling me Ishii, but my mind is telling me Evil. Yeah, I definitely think Evil's a guy that they're going to want to really kind of elevate this year. Yeah, and they just don't really do much with Ishii. And, you know, obviously Ishii doesn't really need to win to be heated up. He's just, you know, he's Ishii. Like, he, you can put him in a big match anytime. He could lose all year, and he can be slotted into a big match. A win over Evil? That's not for you, baby. <laughs> So, yeah, I think everything will be evil this night. Um, and then finally, the main event of the evening, the never open weight title match with the defending champion Hiroki Goto uh, defending his title against uh, Shingo Takagi. What's Shingo Takagi's nickname? The Dragon? Yes. I, I almost call him the last dragon, but that's not his nickname. That's so. uh, his finisher, the last of the dragon. I know, but I, almost, I didn't want to embarrass myself and be like, <laughs> the last dragon. <laughs> Um, this is going to be another incredible strong style match. We saw these guys in the G1, and then we saw them later on in the fall. Was that Power Struggle or King of Pro Wrestling? Uh, it's one of those two shows. I can't remember. It was Power Struggle. Power Struggle. Both great matches. I thought the G1 match was a little bit better, but either way, the main event, never title. Both of these guys, they're going to want to one up the evil Ishii match. They're going to go out there and kill each other. Here's the only thing. Um, Ishii and Evil both kind of fit the mold of the Never Division very like so well. Goto and Shingo obviously do as well. These four guys are all in the similar mold and make. Um, some people might see that Ishii and Evil match as being a de facto number one contender match for this. I don't know that that's the case, but that would not be unlike New Japan, or you know that'd be pretty logical. There is the case that if you think Shingo's winning, that maybe Ishii should win. Right, and that if you think Goto's winning, maybe Evil should win because then you don't have stable mates, you know, against one another. On the other hand, maybe you have two guys from the same um, stable both win, and then they don't have to fight each other. They can kind of go into different directions. You don't have people clamoring for Evil to take on Shingo and, and vice versa, that sort of thing. So it it kind of depends on what they decide to do as far as booking goes. Um, Logically, I'm just going to say Shingo. I know that doesn't really line up with what I said about Evil, but in a nutshell, I think it's time for Shingo to get his first singles title run in New Japan. Um, we're, we're coming up on a big 2020, you know, first quarter of the year. There's some big shows that 
they, they they'll probably rely on the never champion to kind of uh, be like a, a you know like a cornerstone of the company and I think Shingo's that guy I think this is the time you coronate him yeah definitely you know Shingo's awesome and I definitely think it's time for him to get his first title run here and never open title is a perfect you know first title for him to have he fits that style perfectly and he's a guy that can main event I mean he's main event this show here he's a guy that can, you can main event shows with Shingo especially as the never champion and so I think the smart business move would be to go with Shingo here and have him defeat Hiroki Goto either way uh we know that Ishii and Evil can go we know that Goto and Shingo will deliver those two matchups were both fight of the year candidates last year and some of my favorite matches in all of 2019 so i'm so excited for this these top two matches and i i I gotta say this like this show top to bottom is a really really great looking show um some people might hand wave it look at it just you know if you just look at it and don't really delve into it you're like tag team matches and then a couple never matches and they might just hand wave it but if you really think about it Look at the star power of who you have on the show. Moxley, Okada, Suzuki, Naito, Jay White, Kenta, Hiromu, Dragon Lee, <laughs> Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr. I mean, this is a freaking stacked, it, it, stacked show. Yeah. And that's just the undercard. And this is how you this is how you um as a as a company when you want to make stars, this is so smart. You take guys that you're elevating and put them in the main event, and then you support that with your top stars in meaningful matches on the undercard. Right. So you're, you're still getting your Okada. You're still getting your Moxley Suzuki, but they're not taking up the main event spotlight. You can feature, you know, Evil, Ishii, Goto, and Shingo, elevate those four guys. And I also want to say this. Uh, for the Japanese fans that were complaining about no Tanahashi and no Kotobushi on this uh, card... Uh, with all due respect, shut your mouths. You guys have the freaking dopest card. <laughs> you're getting like, you're getting all the meaningful matches. You're getting all the really, really great like, uh, just like look at look at the talent roster you guys have. And we got Tanahashi, and it's great that we got Tanahashi. It's so awesome. But I mean, come on, this do, what we got does not compare to this. Like. Throw us a bone. <laughs> give us somebody. Like, yeah. just give us something. <laughs> so now we move on to night two. And night two of New Beginning Sapporo is going to open up with a singles matchup between Toa Hanare and Yotosuji, which we just kind of mentioned their rivalry that they've been having. So we have another, another singles match here between Hanare and Suji. Well, um, I think that Hanare is obviously picking up the win here. Um, I'll say what we say every time. These are two guys that on paper look like they should fit hand and glove, but they tend to not really deliver as high as I'm always hoping for. But the prospect of them wrestling is always so enticing that I still get excited for it. I hope that some of the kinks are kind of worked out and maybe Hanari can help Suji raise his game just a bit. But um, these are two of my favorite guys that are at that like level of the card. So this match should be really good. Hopefully it's better than what we've seen from previous outings. Yeah. And obviously Kohanare is probably picking up the win here, defeating the young lion and kind of continuing to pick up the momentum here. Yep. After that, we have a six man tag team match Tenzan, Nakanishi, and Tiger Mask taking on uh, Togi Makabe, Tomoki Hanma, and Yuya Yamura. And I think it's pretty clear here we will be getting a Tenzan, Nakanishi, Tiger Mask win. 
um, defeating the young line of Yu Yamura on the other side, and also picking up a, me- a measure of revenge from the previous night because, again, we think Tenzan Nakanishi is probably going to be on the losing side the first night. Right. I could see uh, Tiger Mask picking up the win on Yumura just because they kind of team together and Tiger Mask has kind of mentored Yumura over the last year or so. So that, that would make sense. Or Nakanishi could get the win since he is getting ready to retire and his, right. his retirement show is coming up uh, next month. So either of those guys I could see getting the win for their team here. Totally agree. So then we move on to singles action. We have El Fantasmo taking on the debuting Gabriel Kidd from the LA Dojo. So, um, I've never seen Gabriel Kidd. Um, I kept getting confused when people talk about Gabriel Kidd because they would talk about Gabriel and I would think about uh, Justin Gabriel, Justin TJ Gabriel. Black. And then when I think about Kidd, I would think of like Tyson Kidd. <laughs> so, this name Gabriel Kidd sounds really like familiar to me. Like, I, I think I know Gabriel Kidd, but then I realized like after seeing him and everything, I'm like, I have no clue who Gabriel <laughs> Kidd is. He's not who I thought he was at all. Um, but from what I've heard, he's really good. Um, so much so that like he, from what I understand, it has been on the Indies for quite a while and is a pretty uh, like accomplished uh, UK wrestler. Yeah, I believe he has a pinfall over Zack Saber Jr. in Rev Pro. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, a uh, friend of the show, uh, Jimmy Flips. Bro, my from being sick this weekend, I'm like losing it. <laughs> like, what what's wrong with me? Um, yeah. Ben Schaefer. Ben, God. <laughs> Dude, I hate I hate not remembering names and things on the air. It's so freaky. Because I've got such a great memory, and then, like, I'll forget a name, and it, like, drives me crazy. Yeah, uh, good friend of the show, Ben Schaefer. He uh, sent us a video, and he was showing us that Gabriel Kidd, like, had wrestled all these guys in the U.K. scene. So it is interesting kind of seeing him come in through the dojo system. Um, and I think he's also defeated Phantasmo in the past. In, mm-hmm. in um, UK indie scene, obviously where they're at in their careers at this point, especially in this promotion, are very vastly different. Um, but I think it's a good first match for Gabriel Kidd, if, especially if he's wrestling someone that he's familiar with, maybe has some measure of um, chemistry with, and um, not a bad way to kind of establish a character for him, even if it's just as a young lion, um, you know, New Japan really likes to draw on histories of these guys, especially if they have experience with one another from outside uh, companies. They don't shy away from that. They usually will uh, allude to it on the commentary and even play it, play it up in the storyline. So um, I'm sure Phantasmo's picking up the win here. I do think it's interesting that we have Phantasmo in a singles match the next night after they're kind of heating him and Taiji Ishimori up for... Uh, you know, junior tag uh, aspirations again as well. So um, real interesting match here, but Phantasmo is definitely picking up the win. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, Gabriel Kidd is going to be coming in as a young lion, coming in from the LA Dojo. So, yeah, ELP will get the win here. They'll heat ELP up, probably getting some momentum. You know, best of super juniors is right around the corner. Also, there's a potential for a future junior tag title match like we talked about. So you get uh, ELP, you get him a win, and then you kind of get Gabriel Kidd over in the match as well, introduce him to the crowd, and then, you know, we'll probably be seeing more Gabriel Kidd in the future. Yep, and after that, we have six-man tag team match, um, chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Robbie Eagles, and Tomohiro Ishii will be taking on the team of LIJ, Bushi, Evil, and Shingo. Um very interesting matchup. A uh, lot of return bouts here uh, from 
you know, matches that took place just the night before. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Jeremy? So I'm trying to think if this is the pre if this is the preview match for the never six man title match. It is that's coming up. The, the, the exact two it's teams. It's the exact right. same two teams. Got gotcha. you. So yeah, so very interesting here that there's a non title match kind of heading into that title match that's going to be happening um, the following week on the road to New Beginning show. And how does that make you feel, given the fact that Evil and well, given the fact that Shingo's wrestling Goto in a title match? And then he's already like the never six man uh, gaunt or you know champion. Um, I don't know. This all just seems kind of it's weird that they're doing the exact same match, but with non title implications. Yeah, with that happening, I'm guessing that the chaos team is going to get the win here, right? To kind of solidify them and getting a title shot because honestly, like obviously two great teams here, but what what did go to Eagles and Ishii do to earn a six man title shot? Does it make sense to think that Ishii and Goto probably that that might solidify our predictions that they're probably losing the night before, and then they get a measure of revenge the next night by picking up six man, uh, you know, uh, a six man tag team match win over those same guys? Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense here. I think so too. And then you know, a lot of times in New Japan, when they, it's not uncommon for them to do. A match where the challengers and I, I kind of hate it to be honest with you, but they'll do a match where the challengers will face the champions in non-title match, and they'll win, and then go on and lose the actual title match the next time. They right. do it all the time. The last time I, th- I can remember where they didn't do that was like, um, when Desperado and Kanemaru, like still like they won their title match after they had won the preview match against Rapongi 3K because yeah. Rapongi 3K just couldn't seem to beat those guys forever. But yeah, uh I mean we saw it on the uh, Fantastic Mania tour recently with the yep. those six man titles. They do it all the time. So I think that's exactly what they're doing here. I think Chaos is going to pick up the win um and then LIJ will probably, you know, get the they'll probably retain their titles later on on the Road to show. That being said, uh, we've already talked about the level of talent that's in this match, and this is going to be really good. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome matchup here. So we follow that up with an eight-man tag match. We have Rapungi 3K, Show and Yo, teaming with John Moxley and Risuke Taguchi to take on a Suzuki-Goon team of Doki, Osperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Um, with the Suzuki Goon team, again, we always have to preface this, you're going to see a lot of Suzuki Goon antics. That being said, uh, Sho and Yo and Taguchi teaming up with Moxley, and you have other guys like Despi, Doki, and Kanemaru on the other side. This screams comedy match to me. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of antics with Taguchi, and Moxley's the kind of guy where he, depending on who he's in the ring with, he'll kind of go along with. He has a goofy side to him. Like, he won't break character, and I, I don't think it's going to be a full-on Straight up comedy match. Obviously, there's going to be hard hitting action, especially with the Suzuki and Moxley angle. Um, but in the match, I really won't be surprised if there's a lot to laugh at when it comes to this. When you look at Moxley teaming with Taguchi and Rapongi 3K, I just I have this feeling like this is going to be a ridiculous match. Yeah, Taguchi's going to be trying to call plays to Moxley, and Moxley's <laughs> just going to be like, "What is this guy doing? Like, what is he talking about?" <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think this this match will be interesting. Um, again, we've never seen Moxley team with most of these guys. Um, you know, you've got three juniors in there with Moxley as well. Um, so that's interesting as well. Um, 
I'm gonna, I don't know who, who, well, I guess the easy answer is you could always go like the Sekigun team because Doki's on the other side. Right. Yeah. Anytime I see Doki on the other side, I'm, I'm immediately thinking he's eating the pinfall. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if like Taguchi lost. Or you could have Despi or Kanemaru pin Shoryo to heat up that tag title match that's going to be happening in Osaka. Oh, that's right. Okay, so Rapunga 3K is defending against Desperado and Kanemaru again. Right. Again. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you could easily do that. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to play the play the numbers here. I'll just I'll just take the Sekigun team just because Doki does exist. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> Doki probably eating a Death Rider. And I don't know that that's like, I don't feel that confident about it. Like, I could totally see a scenario where Suzuki Goon wins, but Doki. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doki in the pin. But Doki. <laughs> uh, so after that, we have a six-man tag team match. Uh, Bullet Club team of Jay White, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori will be taking on the LIJ team of Hiromu Takahashi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. Wow, another great six-man tag match here. Three, you know, six great guys here on opposite sides. I mean... This, is gonna, this should be a banger. They're giving us, um, you know, they haven't had a lot of additions to the company or anything like that recently. And sometimes with New Japan, you can kind of get a lot of repetition when it comes to matchups and things of that nature. But they're really going out of their way to give us some really fresh matchups here that we are not used to seeing. Um, and this is another prime example of that. And, uh, yeah. As, well, I guess with Hiromu's return, everything is kind of fresh. So mm-hmm. I that I could take that back a little bit. But, uh, you know, um, we've never seen Kenta and Naito or, you know, um, Sonata and Jay White and all that. And when Hiromu and Taiji Ishimori had that one match a couple years ago at the Best Super Junior Finals. like was incredible. Of, yeah. So, I mean, you have an incredible lineup of guys here. I don't know how good it will actually end up being, but they'll probably have a very solid... 10 to 12 minute six man yeah, tag. I don't team predict match. like three and a half to three point seven five range. That sounds about right. Um I will say Taiji Shimori takes the pinfall here. Same. Yeah, I think yeah, Taiji will get pinned by any of the three LIJ guys. And that's gonna take us to the top two matches. Yep. So our semi-main event of the evening is for the Rev Pro Undisputed British Heavyweight title. We have the current champion, Zack Saber Jr. Defending against Will Osprey. Yes, the undisputed British title that never gets defended in Britain. <laughs> um, I'm very excited for this match. Um, it might be one of my most anticipated matches of the entire tour. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if come... Um, this is going to be in February, right? Yes. I wouldn't be surprised if come March we're talking about Will Ospreay's Zack Sabre Jr. match of the month, honestly. Um these guys work really well together. They've got a banger in them. And, um, you know, for me, I don't know if they haven't really played into it too much, but for me, the story is Will has never held that title. Right. And um, I was watching the post-match promo. So even though the Road 2 shows that have happened this week haven't aired, they've uploaded the post-match promos okay. to YouTube. And Osprey was talking about, you know, this is going to be his fourth time Challenging for the title, he failed to uh, defeat AJ Styles and Shibata and Saber. I think there was one other guy. Um, so you know, well, I know he had a six or he had a three way match. It was him and Marty Skrull. Yeah, so it was it was Marty, AJ, Shibata, and Saber. 
okay. were all the guys that he lost to in the previous title defense. There's title a real, challenges. His match with AJ Styles for the title is really good. He also had a match with him. It was a three way him, AJ, and Marty. And that match is really good too. They're all yeah. from like 2015, 2016, something like that. Yeah. And also in his promo, he was mentioning, you know, wanting to save the British wrestling scene. And in order to do that, he needs to win this title and be able to defend it over there. Uh, oh, he's going to defend it over there. Wow. I, I guess so. Well, that's, <laughs> that's what he's saying now. Um, um, but yeah, so it's very interesting. Definitely they're bringing in the whole British wrestling scene into it. Obviously, Sabre and Osprey, they've had a very long rivalry. They've wrestled each other over and over again. Um, and the story they're telling is that Osprey's never beaten Sabre. I don't know if that's 100% right. Um, we'll go to the cage match. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, Sabre said that Osprey's never beaten him. But it's, I don't know if it's one of those like Marty Skrull, Osprey things where they said that Osprey never beat Skrull. But when you look it up, there there were some recorded Osprey victories over Skrull. There was quite a few, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I don't know if it's one of those situations. But, yeah, they're kind of building up. Osprey's almost as the underdog here. He's never beaten Sabre. He's never won the Rev Pro British title. He's failed multiple times. So this is a big matchup here of, you know, two of the biggest stars coming out of that British scene. and Two guys who have really, you know, gotten over and have, you know, transcended to superstar level with their runs in New Japan. Yes. So I am looking this up right now. And as I go to the man, I'm going to match Constellations. Okay. So in one-on-one action, Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. have wrestled 12 times. Their very first match in 2014, Will Ospreay defeats Zack Sabre Jr. Mm. <laughs> That's exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> but it was in uh, it was in 2014. It was in SWE, so we can kind of forgive them. So let's move on. 2015 Super Strong 16 Tournament Finals. The winner, Will Ospreay, defeating Zack Sabre Jr. <laughs> <laughs> At Progress, Chapter 19. Well, I mean, there's no way Will Ospreay beat him again, right? Yeah, yeah, that would have made sense. So let's just move on. Um, Battle of Los Angeles, 2016, quarterfinals. Will Ospreay defeats Zack Sabre Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. Um, Well, you know, let's move on. Um, Will Ospreay defeats Zack Sabre Jr. Repro live in Portsmouth, 9 um, yeah, so it looks like Will Ospreay's got quite a few wins over Zack Sabre, but you know, most of, most of the like more, um, like widely seen and regarded matches, like the ones in New Japan, the ones in Evolve, um, 16 karat gold tournament, all that, the UK Super 8 tournament in 2014, Zack Sabre does hold a winning record over Will Ospreay, but Will Ospreay's beat this dude like four, <laughs> four or five times. So they're not that far off. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so clearly that's a little hole in the story there, but you know how wrestlers are, they get hit in the head, they forget things. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, either way, still, journalism. <laughs> still you know, a great matchup here and a long rivalry and uh, something for Osprey to prove here. Yeah, um I'm very excited for this match. Um as I said previously, I do think um I think Will Ospreay is going to win the title here. And I think part of the reason why is with the potential um, promotion of him as being a heavyweight, 
I think that maybe winning the undisputed British heavyweight title might be a really good step in the right direction to kind of promote him as such. Yeah, Osprey winning is definitely um, an option here, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of leaning more towards Zack Saber Jr. Um, it feels like 2020 they are planning on kind of rebuilding him after the not so stellar year as far as you know match record wise that Saber had. Saber had a lot of losses last year. Um, so I feel like they're going to try and rebuild him and get him a lot of big wins this year and kind of get him established as a, you know, as a threat again. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Zack Sabre wins, and you bring up some really excellent points. You know, one thing also to take – I guess the reason I keep kind of going against Zack Sabre is, like, oftentimes in most companies, if you're a champion and you're, like, a, a you know, widely regarded, you might have one, maybe two – really long-term defining title reigns um three maybe like you know it's very rare that you know even some of the champions that like okada you know and tanahashi not all of their reigns were super super long you know and with multiple title defenses you look at zach saber jr and his his run through rev pro i mean i think he's held the title two or three times i think this might be his third time and all of his title reigns have been, like, over a year, multiple title defenses, very, very lengthy. So I am just wondering, like, how long they plan to actually keep the belt on Zach. The other thing, too, is, like, Will is one of the few guys. I Like, when I thought they could go with Sonata back in uh, at Wrestle Kingdom, part of that was because he had a he has a built-in fan base and, and uh, exposure in England uh, that many of the Japanese wrestlers don't have. So I thought it would make sense for him. Well, that goes doubly for Will Ospreay. I mean, Will Ospreay is a staple of that country. Um, so it would make all the sense in the world if you wanted to go with Will, especially since Will is a Red Pro guy. So. Right, and if, you know, if Red Pro wants to draw some big houses, you know, Will Ospreay as Red Pro champion, that's going to draw some folks. Right, and, you know, you can continue to do business with Zack Sabre and Will Ospreay if Will wins. If, if Zack wins, then it's pretty much a one-and-done and then you kind of have to wonder where does Will go from there. Uh, I'm obviously the next step is uh, the um, New Japan Cup, you know. Um, but I, I just think that that would be a nice accolade to kind of give Will. Um, and I think you can continue to build Zach up because again, New Japan Cup is around the corner. But um, if Zach taps him out, I won't be surprised whatsoever. Yeah, and if if, if Osprey wins, that kind of helps um, solidify this. Very subtle transition to the heavyweight division that we've kind of been seeing teased uh, throughout 2019, and obviously he's dropped the junior title, and there's been a lot of you know speculation and question on whether or not he's going to be in Best of Super Juniors or he's going to continue to compete as a junior in 2020. Well, the great thing here is you know most of the matches we're talking about star power, we're talking about storylines, we're talking about. Uh, Match quality, which is very high all throughout this tour. What we're not really talking about is predictability. And from most, as you've noticed, most of these cards, most of these nights, we've had the same predictions because in most cases, it's pretty predictable. So uh, this one is really intriguing. It's one of the few that we are both split on at this point. And that makes for a good wrestling match. So, um, you know, my hat's off to them. I'm, I'm glad that we have something that's kind of too hard to call when it comes to Zach and Will. And it's, it's a 50-50 in my book. Yeah. And that brings us to the main event. Yes, the main event. Uh, we have Taichi taking on the Rainmaker, Kazushika Okada. So, yeah, so a big singles match here. Taichi and Okada, there is history 
um, between Okada and Tai Chi. In the past, uh, Tai Chi defeated Okada, I believe, when Okada was a young lion, right? I don't know. Did that happen? <laughs> yeah, they talked. Okada was talking about it in the uh, the promo in the post match promos. Um, he called Tai Chi. He said like it wasn't Tai Chi that beat me. It was like Tai Chi, whatever his full name was back then, was the one that beat me. Tai Chi Ishikari. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he said yeah. Tai Chi Ishikari was the one that beat me, not Tai Chi. And then um, Tai Chi was saying, you know, yes, we've we've kind of gone different directions since then, but. You've never passed through the wall that is Tai Chi. So definitely a little bit of uh, interesting kind of backstory here uh, between Tai Chi and Okada. One that I don't it doesn't really get mentioned um, a whole lot and kind of helps build up the singles match that these guys are having. Yep. One singles match at New Japan Circuit 2008, New Japan Brave. Uh, that was on April 12th, 2008, and Tai Chi Ishikari defeated... Kazushiko caught it nine minutes. So yeah, uh, over a, over a decade ago. So what, twelve years ago? Yeah, uh, a lot's changed in twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, with this matchup, um, I think what I'm really looking for here is to see what kind of match Okada can get out of Taichi. Um, you know, we we throw all these accolades on Okada. We talk about him being. You know, one of the greatest of his generation, one of the best wrestlers of all time, uh, best in the world current today, all that sort of thing. And he's such a versatile competitor. He's able to adapt to almost any type of match type and work with almost any style of wrestler, which is one of the things that makes him so great. Um, but we haven't really seen him work with a guy like Tai Chi uh, recently. We haven't really seen him had to work with guys that were lower on the totem pole. Tai Chi does kind of. For the past two years, he's kind of uh, served as the de facto rebound match for a lot of guys that lost uh, during Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Naito especially comes to mind, and I know like Tanahashi was one year as well. So with that that in mind, um, I think Taichi's losing here, but it would shock the world if he beat Okada. Right, that would be, yeah, a pinfall heard around the world. That would be a huge uh, kind of vote in confidence and a huge push for Tai Chi in 2020. Um, but I think he's going to get his moment in the tag match on night one by pinning Okada, and then Okada will kind of get the revenge here and pin Tai Chi. Now think about this. What is it if, if Tai Chi loses in that tag match? What does that say about this match? Could that hypothetically be an indicator that maybe Tai Chi might pull the upset win? Um, or if he were to lose both matches, boom, boom, does that kind of solidify his slot in the company and kind of help re-elevate Okada? What do you think? Yeah, if he's losing both matches, it definitely kind of says, all right, Tai Chi, he's a guy that we will put against top guys, but we kind of see him ranked as that kind of never-level mid-card guy. He's not going to be really pushed to the moon this year. I hope he comes out with white gear. <laughs> <laughs> that would be dope. Uh, have you ever seen his white gear? I don't think I have. He wore it at Taka Tai Chi Mania last year uh, in Corkin. And um, I'm like, yeah, you're main eventing against Okada. He needs to to wear the white Bust gear. Bust out the white gear, yeah. Uh, something else that came to mind. This is a match between two guys who both like to rip their pants off. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, except, yeah, Okada will rip his off at the beginning and then Tai Chi at some point in the middle of the match. That's the true story here. That's what this is really about. Um, 
it's gimmick infringement, basically. Who has the better legs? Yeah. Well, Taichi's been doing it longer, and Okada kind of stole his idea. So, not really feeling that. But, um, you know, Taichi is real. One of the things he's really good at is false finishes. I mean, he'll he'll be wrestling matches that you don't think he's going to win, and then suddenly he'll make you think he's going to win. Right. Uh, you know, his Gato clutch and, you know, the last ride powerbomb and, you know, hitting people with the iron claw and hitting people with the freaking um, mic stand and all everything like that. He's great at creating moments where it looks like he should win. I don't think he'll beat Okada. I don't think he's going to win. And I don't think if he did win, he would beat Okada clean. But I think it is possible for him to pick up a tainted victory over Okada as a continuation of a storyline where Okada is on the downside coming off of that loss at Wrestle Kingdom. I'm not saying they should do that or they are doing it, but it's not impossible. Right. It's definitely a direction they can go into, but I know we, we saw something kind of similar when he lost to Kenny at Dominion and kind of like the breakdown, saw the balloon uh, maker Okada. Uh, I don't think they're really going to go quite in that similar direction. I think we're going to see a, a little bit more of a dominant Okada this year, even without the championship. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going Okada because you'd be a fool to predict anything other than an Okada win here. But there's there is I'm a little nervous when it comes to this one, especially since Taichi's lost both of these new beginning matches back-to-back year after year. Um, and now he's slotted in a main event against Okada. I don't know. Gato's tricky, and man. And it's non-title. And it's non-title, and it's Gato. I don't know, man. But I'm going Okada. I think the match is going to be really good, believe it or not. Yeah, I'm going Okada also. I think it's going to be great. I think we're going to see kind of big match Taichi here. The Taichi that we see against guys like Ishii. And I think we're going to get a uh, a banger of a main event here. Either that or Taichi knows that's what we want and he's going to fuck off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that wraps up our predictions for New Beginning in Sapporo. Really good-looking cards. And what nights are those? So those are February 1st and 2nd, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday and Sunday. Okay, cool. So now we're going to move on to questions. First from Reddit user Grunty Dodds. says, with the G1 moving to the fall, how will that affect the Junior Tag League and the World Tag League? Or are we just going to get three tournaments back to back to back? That seems excessive to me. Um, that's how New Japan is. They're excessive with their tournaments. Sometimes it just feels like, like at a certain point in the year, you're just watching tournaments back to back <laughs> to back to back. So I, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Yeah, especially since you have three different sets of classes here. You have your major singles heavyweight guys with the G1. You have your juniors in the Junior Tag League. And then you have your World Tag League with kind of the mix-match teams that they're going to throw together. That really, some of them probably will have been in the G1, but not many. You know, you're going to get, your, like, your Cabana and Yano's back kind of thing. Whoa. Marty Skrull showed up at New Japan of USA. He did? Yeah. Is there a show tonight? Uh, I guess so. What? <laughs> <laughs> Breaking news. Breaking news. Yeah, bro, look. That is crazy. I told you he's the key to the to the forbidden door. Why that man ain't show up in Tampa? <laughs> Where are they tonight? Are they in Durham? I think so. Oh man, either Durham or or Atlanta. No, uh, Atlanta is like the night before Miami. Gotcha. Yeah, that is crazy. 
the villain, Marty's girl, showing up at the new beginning in USA. So, you know, obviously, we've talked about, you know, Marty's contract situation with Ring of Honor, resigning, being a part of the booking team, and um, kind of being one of the keys to kind of rekindle the relationship between Ring of Honor and New Japan. We've seen all these New Japan talents being um, announced for the Supercard of Honor show coming up WrestleMania weekend. So clearly, uh, you know, the the relationship is really going strong, and Marty seems to be the key here. Yeah, I'm like so, um, I'm like lost. I, I, I need to know the, uh, I need to know the context. What, it, what does this mean? Why was he there? Uh, from what I can see, he's just in street gear with his umbrella and, uh, you know, he's wearing glasses and door, which is extremely tacky. <laughs> Marty, come on. But, um, yeah, no, man, I, I don't know. I don't know what this means. Like, I'm wondering, did he just come up and, is this an angle? Is it just, did he just cut a promo? Is it just a goodwill, like, you know, appearance? Like, what does this mean? Well, I definitely think it means we will be seeing more of Marty in New Japan. Uh, you know, with the new kind of contract, I wasn't surprised that if he was going to be in Best of Super Juniors again. So I think this almost kind of locks it down that we're probably going to see Marty in Best of Super Juniors again. We're going to see him probably down the line on some more New Japan tours. <sighs> and if Marty's a guy that they can use on New, New Japan USA shows, that's a, that's a great get right there. I don't even have... Um I don't even have really to add, much to add to that. I just can't wait to see and understand what that was. I hope it's on the um, on the video on demand when they they play it back on New Japan World, so we can get some better context. If you guys are listening to this and you were there or you happen to know what's going on, uh, reach out to us. Let us know. Yeah. So, anything else on potentially three tournaments back to back? No, I, I exactly what I said earlier. Um, I don't think it's excessive for New Japan because they love running tournaments. I mean, they're basically running tournaments all year long uh, with small breaks in between. Um, could they shake things up because the G1's moving to fall? Absolutely. Could they change the format of some of these tournaments from leagues to single block That's tournaments? That's exactly what I was about to say. Like, it would be very refreshing if you do both the Junior Tag League and World Tag League as single elimination tournaments. That's possible. Um it might be more feasible from from a, a booking perspective and you know touring and dates and stuff to do something for one or two of those tournaments but um i don't think they necessarily have to just because the g1's moving yeah. so next question from reddit user rambone slam pig says do you see anyone stepping up and having a year in 2020 like what will osprey had in 2019 um no because no one in the history of wrestling has ever had a year like Will Ospreay had in 2020. In uh, 2019. I'm sorry, yeah. 2019. My mistake. Yeah. Uh, Will Ospreay could. <laughs> yeah, he could top himself. Will, Will, Will Ospreay could, you know. Here's the thing. You, you have a perfect storm of elements that were at play. The fact that Will was working the U.S. and the U.K. Indies and New Japan simultaneously, plus working dates in like Australia, New Zealand and in Spain and <laughs> like literally everywhere. Um, I think that that had a lot to do with the type of year he had. And then also just like the, the, the way that the booking got behind him and the, the kind of match output he, he did and the opportunities that were afforded him. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's going to take, I mean, 
Could someone outdo him accolade-wise, get over to a higher degree, maybe have better matches? Uh, definitely. But can someone step up and put out the kind of output that Will Ospreay put out last year as often or as... No one's ever done it before. Like, when we say it's unprecedented, it really is unprecedented. Nobody has ever had that many great matches that often consistently. The only thing I can think of is, like, Ric Flair, like, touring as the NWA champion in the 80s, and that's a different era. But, you know, when you when you compare the matches, you know, they don't really stack up, obviously. Right. I mean, I think the one guy that could have something close could be Shingo. He's doing some U.S. dates this year. I'm sure he's going to be highlighted more in a singles role this year. He's getting that never title match. I think he, Shingo, could have a, a very close year and have the kind of output match quality-wise that Osprey did. Yeah, and, you know, I think for a lot of wrestling fans, too, they probably when they were talking about the, ki- the kind of year that Will Osprey had, they probably were, in most cases, only taking into account the more widely seen stuff like what was happening in New Japan. So if you compared his New Japan year and work to other guys that might come along, then yes. But if you were realistic and you compared like his progress stuff and his Rev Pro stuff and you know the Triple W stuff and everything that happened WrestleMania weekend and you know everything, no. Like cuz I don't know anyone else that is working that often in that many places having that many great matches, but you're correct. Uh, Shingo is a guy that, that definitely, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of guys in new Japan who could have just as good. I mean, Abushi, Shingo, right. <laughs> Ishii, Okada. I mean, you know, the, I'm not sitting here telling you that Will Ospreay is the best wrestler in the world, but he has a style of match that he can consistently deliver and build upon. That is so fantastic dynamic. And he makes everybody look great. I mean, It'll be hard for anybody to do what Will Ospreay does and to hope that their body also, like, holds up, holds yeah. up man. I don't know. Uh, next question from Reddit user WizFactor. He says, do you think Naito should permanently retire the Stardust press? I feel a story of the Stardust genius has come to a satisfying close and that the move was given a perfect send-off at Wrestle Kingdom 14, not to mention that the move will only get harder to pull off as Naito enters his 40s. Possibly. Um... I mean, that's one way you could go. There's also the, if you, you could look at it from the other side of the coin. Um, Naito hadn't successfully hit the move since he last attempted it on Okada the uh, two years prior at Wrestle Kingdom. Maybe he has now gained a measure of closure for that character, and he can now, like, now he's able to wield the ability to do the Stardust Press as the full Ingobernable character without it being some sort of like hearkening back to what he was or some reminiscent thing like maybe he has full ownership of it again and he can bust it out in big moments when necessary. Right, yeah, now that he has confidence and that he can pull it off, like it's not one of these things where he's going to hesitate. It's going to be something that he can use as one of his signatures to pull off in really big matches. Like, he can pull it off in the Kenta match, um, and that could be a cool near fall. Yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. The biggest difference between what happened when he failed to land it at Wrestle Kingdom versus when he 
landed it this most recent uh, Wrestle Kingdom is that the first time when he went for it against uh, Okada, that was Wrestle Kingdom 12? Yeah. He played to the crowd and paused and alluded to, to the Stardust Genius character. And that moment of hesitation and his own hubris is what cost him that title match. When he went for it this time, if you notice, he did not play to the crowd. He did not pose. He did not waste time. He got up there, and he freaking nailed it, and that was the difference between those two moments. He learned from his mistake, and he capitalized on the the moment. Now, if he never busted out again, that's fine. I wouldn't be upset about it, but I like the idea of guys being able to go back to the well and pull things out that that they haven't in a long time when necessary, especially against, like, Super opponent, so right, and especially in a match where like it's there's super desperation. They've literally thrown everything else out. There's nothing else to do but to kind of go back to an old finisher, an old big move. And you know what, Wiz Factor, you might not be wrong. It might be a send off of sorts, quote unquote, because now it might not be a regular part of his arsenal. But there's, that doesn't like mean he can't ever use it again. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I don't. You know. I think that's. Not something that has ever been stated or been part of the story. Not, it's never mentioned on commentary or backstage or anything like that. Um, not saying that you claim that, but those are those are things that I like to look for when I see something might be leaving, like that missing element. They usually allude to it in some aspect, and there's been no allusions to it. So I wouldn't be surprised if Naito pulls it out at a G1 or at a Wrestle Kingdom every now and again. Yeah. Next question from Viking Payne has two questions, actually. First question, he says, what are your thoughts on Lance Archer possibly leaving New Japan <laughs> for AEW? I'm not happy about it. Yeah, I mean, Archer, he you know, he had an awesome 2019. He's a very talented guy. He's a guy that I would like to see continue to, you know, be elevated in New Japan and have a run, you know, good lengthy run as a top singles guy in New Japan. Well, there's things to take into consideration. You know, this podcast, we have been saying nothing else other than why does why hasn't New Japan signed this guy? For six, seven months now, we've been saying that. Like, they need to get him under contract. They need to make him an offer. Now, that doesn't mean that they haven't done it. I don't know. They could have. I don't know anything about negotiation practices of New Japan, what talks... Um, they have or haven't had with Lance Archer. Who knows? Maybe they have tried to sign him. Uh, that's entirely possible. But I get the feeling that this these reports from what we understand about him going to AW, they're completely real. And this is just another example of when New Japan fails to sign a guy and they go elsewhere, whether it be WWE or now AW. And um, we've seen it over the years. Uh Luckily, this was the one year in a long time where we didn't see a big exodus of wrestlers post-Wrestle Kingdom. Right. Um, we usually get that, and that, that hasn't happened this year. But, um, you know, um, the most recent reports, everyone is saying that the talks with Archer and AEW, um, there's been reports that it's a done deal, but it sounds like it's very close to being a done deal. It's the most likely outcome of what's happening. And, you know, for a guy like Lance Archer, let's keep in mind, He's huge. I mean, how tall is he? Six eight, six something, nine, something like that. Yeah, huge, huge guy. He's had back surgery, broken back. Uh, he's older in his career, and I mean, if he's able to work shows here local in the states for AEW once a week and take less bumps, 
and make more money, you know, and take outside bookings, that might, at this stage of his career, and be on national TV and get more exposure, that might make more sense than going to Japan, working for New Japan, regardless of how much he, you know, is a, is a company man. Right, yeah, he's still living in the U.S. right now, so... Yeah, travel would be a lot easy, you know, the once a week dynamite. And then if he wants, he can continue to take, you know, the indie bookings in Texas and do some other stuff and, you know, heal up during the week. And so, yeah, it would probably be a lot easier on his body, uh, more exposure, um, the potential of becoming an even bigger star. Um, so there definitely are positives to signing AEW. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know, like, if I was New Japan, I would want to keep him. Like, as a fan, I don't want to see Lance Archer leave New Japan. There's nothing about that that sounds enticing to me. I mean, it, it does feel like a big miss from this perspective. They didn't really push this guy as a sing- in a singles role for all these years. They finally got around to giving him a big opportunity. He knocked it out of the park, got over, and you would seem with the ki- it would seem like with the kind of push that they've been giving him and the kind of opportunities they've been giving him, that they had long that they would sign him to a deal, but for all these years he's just been on a per per date per tour sort of deal with the company, which just seems crazy to me. I don't get that at all. Yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. Like just the way he's performed this year, I would have offered him a contract for twenty twenty, even if it was just a one year deal. I would have tried to lock him down for, for at least another year. Given the kind of climate that we're in when it comes to. Negotiations contracts in the wrestling industry You had to know that someone was going to go after Lance Archer eventually We've we've talked about it for a long time now And wondered where we're like why isn't someone signed Lance Archer Like this makes no sense He's like one of the hottest free agents that's out there right now And New Japan should have already done it If I'm New Japan right now I make a last ditch effort to try to keep this guy Uh, I try to drop as much May money as I can and I just don't understand the investment. That's that's where it feels like a miss to me. They've invested so much into him in the in these past, since July, maybe even going further back for the past year. If you really think about it, why would you let him go somewhere else and make more money for your your competition at that point? Right, you've built him up. You've made him a star. You've given him the momentum. And now he's going to take the momentum and run it over to AEW. And and I get it. There are probably people who are thinking like, well. The talent roster is so deep, they'll be fine if he leaves. They will be fine if he leaves, and they can move someone into his slot and all that. That's fine. Um, but it makes no sense to me to have pushed him so hard to not have gotten the full reward out of it that you possibly could have gotten. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's where it doesn't make sense to me because um, it, it felt like they could have gone a lot further with Lance Archer at this point in time, and instead... If he is going to AEW, it seems like a a big miss for New Japan. I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. So Viking Paint also asks, what are your thoughts on Luke Harper wanting to come to New Japan after leaving WWE? Well, that's a guy who could fit Archer's role. Right, yeah. He could <laughs> yeah, step in. Yeah, so if Archer leaves, yeah, Harper could step into that, you know, kind of big it, man monster role. Is it appropriate to start calling Brody Lee now? Because I want to start calling Brody Lee. That's, yeah. I've always wanted to call him Brody Lee. I, think I, he, I hate the name Luke Harper. It doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue. I think he changed his Twitter name back to Brody Lee, I think. Okay. So Brody Lee wants to come to New Japan. Um, has he said that publicly? I think there have been reports of people close to him saying that he wants to do New Japan. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I just wonder if he is 
as rumored, possibly signing with AEW, is he a big enough name or have enough cachet to get that dual contract situation going? Maybe, and maybe he can pull a Moxley. Maybe he can, you know, sign with New Japan, do a tour of them first, and then impress there. Then AEW wants him, and then he gets that Moxley situation. Okay, uh, breaking news. So Marty challenged Jay White to a match at Supercard. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be the villain versus Switchblade. So kind of playing into some uh, Bullet Club history there. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that match? It's an interesting match. Um, I've never seen him wrestle before. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they've wrestled before. Uh, I mean, are you are you ready to sell your uh, NXT ticket? Nah, not yet. That's a that's a good first bullet, but I, <laughs> I, I'm not ready quite yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so <laughs> we were talking about Brody Lee in New Japan. Yeah, so yeah, I'm obviously I would love for Brody Lee to come into New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, I think he's a guy that fits the uh, the style. Um, he brings a lot of physicality. He's got a great presence, great look. He, he, I mean, his name is Brody Lee. I mean, he definitely has allusions to Bruiser Brody and, and that sort of thing. Right, yeah, he's a big bruiser guy. He can also do the dives and flips as well. Yeah, Very he, athletic big man. He's awesome. I, w- I would love to see him mix it up in New Japan. Now, how, how far they go with him and push him, I, I don't know, um, but I would love to see him there. I always loved his work in, in WWE. I loved his work on the indies previously, especially his stuff in Chikara. He's got a really... Have you ever seen his cage match with him and Claudio? I have not. Um, that's Cesaro, for those of you that are not uh, familiar with uh, his previous ring name, Claudio Castagnoli. But, uh, yeah, there's a really awesome... It's like one of the only Chikara cage matches. It's Brody Lee versus Claudio. It's freaking awesome. I'll have to go look that up. It's on YouTube, I'm pretty sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I think I think anyone with with a brain would be excited for you know Brody Lee coming to New Japan. Definitely. Uh, I just don't know if he is a. Oh, I know what I was gonna say. I don't know if I'm Tony Khan that I continue to let guys just go work for New Japan while also working for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if when they like I just don't know if I do that. You know what I mean? So I don't know if I allow guys to have the dual contract situation. Yeah. Although the industry is changing. And people are able to kind of dictate their moves a bit more with the way that the climate is. So who knows? But I don't know. I think that we're going to see less of that going forward, If to be honest. Unless you're like a really top guy, probably. Yeah. And then uh, Viking Payne's last question. He says, lastly, of this year being the 30th G1, do you guys think there'll be any surprise entrance this year? I think, we'll be, I think there'll be one special entrant per block. And my guesses are... Naomichi Marafuji and Kenny Omega. Those are not bad guesses at all. Um, you know, two guys that have been in the G1 before. Uh, obviously, Kenny Omega's won it in the past. Marafuji's been a, a block finalist. Um, still a big name in Japan. Um, both these guys. Uh, yeah, I think that that I think that'd be really really cool to see both of them in there, especially if you did bring Marafuji back with the Kenta connection. You could tell a really cool story there, and then obviously Kenny and Ibushi. But I mean, it's a little bit fantasy booking at this point. I don't know. I mean, we don't know. I don't know that either of those things would happen. Right, but I could. do. I do like the concept of bringing in two special people for the thirtieth G one. 
I mean, if if you could see two people entering that were realistic, you know, surprises, I mean, who would you? I mean, I think Marty is definitely a possibility. Yes, right that's, that. yes the main guy I was going to say, Marty. Um, trying to think who else is there out there. I, I think Kenny is ob- another potential choice depending on the relationship between ring of or uh aw new japan by that point in time and also the elite and also just kenny and them in general right um and i know you know marty's been trying to work this whole thing out between like ring of honor nwa new japan could we get a nick aldis probably not only for this reason, I don't think they'll let their NWA champion eat a bunch of pins. Right. That's if he's the NWA champion come G1 time. I think he will be. And even if he's not, he's like their ace. <laughs> he's like their one commodity. I really d- don't think that it w- it, it's similar to like when Ring of Honor didn't want Cody to be in it. Because they didn't want Cody to get pinned a bunch of times. Even if it was two or three, that's a lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think that they'll let Nick Aldis get pinned that many times. I don't even know if Nick Aldis wants to do a G1. Right, yeah. <laughs> but if, you know, I would love it. I would. I think that would be so cool. Um, I don't know how... Especially, I mean, the NWA does have some history with New, New Japan. A ton of history. Yeah. I mean, a, a crap ton. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Um, but that's... You bring up a good point. Um, I, I can't think of anyone else. I mean... You start talking about Pearl Rezu, I mean, Murafuji is one guy, but, I mean, that he's with Noah. It depends on what the Noah relationship is like at that point. I don't know. Right, yeah. I don't know. I know, you know, um, Okada's mentioned, you know, wanting to have that big super show. I don't know if you bring in, you know, a guy from Noah, a guy from Dragon Gate, um, DDT or something like that. I don't know. Well, Dragon Gate, generally, they're, like, isolationists. They don't really work with other companies too much. Yeah. So, most likely not. Um, if they were going to work with anybody, I would think it would probably end up being like Noah and All Japan, most likely, uh, especially since those are the ones that Okada mentioned. Um, yeah, I got to tell you, there's so much talent in New Japan at this point. There's so much. Every year, who gets to be in the in the G1 is so like crazy that I don't think they have surprise entrances. And if they do... I don't know if it'll be someone who's not signed to the company like the way it was with Kenta or Mox. Right, like, like if Harper signs, obviously you could see like a Harper. Right, exactly. Uh, I could see something like that, but I don't know. I don't know if they bring in someone from the outside like they've done in the past. They, I mean, there's a reason they haven't done it in so many years. Yeah. I, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I don't know that they do it. And uh, last question here from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BV says, do you think Naito's days as a wrestler's as a wrestler, are numbered after his eye surgery, especially when Milano Collection AT had to retire due to a similar injury. Did you read his interview on the NJPW website? I did, yeah, talking about sneaking off to have the surgery, like, right before Wrestle Kingdom. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they said this dude was wrestling out there with, like, partial, like, loss of eyesight. And they were talking about, like, the needles in his eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> kind of crazy to read. Um I mean, as far as I know, no. Uh, but you just never know. It's wrestling. I mean, someone could be gone tomorrow. You just never know, you know. 
Are his days numbered? Yeah, his days are numbered. I don't know if it's just the eye. It could be the neck. I mean, the knees. Pretty much every pro wrestler's days are numbered. Yeah. But, I mean, with Naito, I mean, he's got a list, a mounting list of injuries, and it's all becoming very apparent. You know, I was listening to another show. They talked about this exact same issue, and they were saying that they're like, you know, it didn't affect his work, and we they couldn't tell the difference. But I feel like we've been talking all year about how his work has definitely been hampered by something or multiple things. And I think that this could definitely be an apparent reason for why maybe the match quality has been down. Maybe, you know, it seemed like he's been a, a half step slower, not not as good as he once was. Um, I hope that this surgery cures his ailment and he continues to be able to wrestle for a long time. But yeah, I mean, it, that this could definitely be that could definitely be something that you know hampers his career. Definitely, yeah. Hoping, yeah, the surgery you know healed up the eye and that he'll be able to continue for as long as he wants to continue. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if that stops him, or like you mentioned, the neck or the knees or something else that winds up happening. So, yeah. So moving into the news, we just have some quick few news items here. So mentioned it earlier, but Carl Fredericks uh, suffered an injury after the Nashville show. He's being pulled from the remainder of the New Beginning in USA tour. And then we have an update on Kota Ibushi, who we mentioned was pulled from the tour due to having a flu. Um, there was more specifics on what exactly Ibushi's suffering with. So he's dealing with Mallory Weiss syndrome and is expected to be out of the rest of the New Beginning Tour, Kota Ibushi's illness seems to be far more worse than initially thought. According to a report by Hochi News, the Golden Star who missed the NJPW US Tour due to influenza informed on Twitter that he's suffering from Mallory Wee Syndrome, a condition in which the boundary between the esophagus and the stomach is damaged and the mucous membrane is uh, vertically torn and bleeding. Repeated vomiting can increase abdominal pressure, causing strong pressure on the mucous membrane from the lower esophagus to the near the entrance to the stomach. It's expected that Ibushi, who had just renewed his contract from New Japan Pro Wrestling on January 18th, will be missing the remainder of the New Beginning Tour, which runs until February 9th with Osaka. So, man, tough break for Kota Ibushi. And th- that those are just a list of things that could happen, or that's what he actually is dealing with? That's I think that's a list of things that could happen. Okay, because that's like I I'm like sitting here picturing Kotobushi like <laughs> like that stuff happening to him. I'm like what the, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, not not looking good for Ibushi right now. Uh, that's really unfortunate. Uh, Lions Break Project Two is up now on NJPW World and YouTube. It's free on NJPW World. And then the last thing here, El Desperado and Zack Saber Jr have been added to Lions Break Project 3, which is happening uh, WrestleMania weekend, a uh, part of WrestleCon. Nice. And now it's time for the recommended match of the weekend. Young boy, it's your pick. Yes, so um, I know it's New Beginning Tour, and I could have easily given you guys something from New Beginning, something on brand, but I want to kick it a little old school, just give you guys one of my favorite matches from uh, years gone by. So we're going to go back to the great year of 1980. Uh, February 5th, 1980 to be specific, uh, the recommended match of the week is the Dynamite Kid taking on Tatsumi Fujinami. Mm. And um, this match freaking rules. Uh, it just it just does. Um, 
if you've never seen it, you have to go out of your way to see it. It's easily the match of the year in 1980. Definitely for New Japan, it's definitely a contender for match of the year uh, across the world. Now, keep in mind, in today's standards, I would rate it close to like four, like four stars, probably. Maybe slightly higher than that, um, but we're talking about 1980, <laughs> right? So it's it's it, it's just it's an incredible match, and I mean, um, Dynamite Kid. Just some context here: Fujinami at this point is still not a heavyweight. He's still in the midst of his um, junior run. As at this point, he's the WWF uh, Junior Heavyweight Champion uh, title holder. He's defending the title against uh, the foreign invader Dynamite Kid from Canada or. Not from Canada. Diamond Kids from uh, England. From England, yeah. Um, but this match is just really awesome. It starts kind of slow, picks up with uh, it's it's like a um, it's definitely like a template for like the modern New Japan style. It's like it starts off kind of slow, holds, then it works into giant strikes, and then it just continues to increase the high risk moves. Fujinami bleeds. Um, Kid just kicks the shit out of him like um, tons of near falls, tons of missed spots. Uh, Fujinami doing dives to the outside in 1980, which is just topes and suicidas, which is nuts for the time. And um, really satisfying finish. Dynamite Kid is just at his all-time best in this match, one of the best matches of his career. And, um, you know, I've... you don't hear a lot of people talk about this nowadays, but on the classic wrestling message boards, this is a known match. People that are 80s, you know, Japanese wrestling fans, they know about this match. And um, it's very highly, like, heralded as as a great, you know, contest. So if you've never seen it, I think it only goes, like, 15 minutes, not even. So it's not overly long. But Dynamite Kid, Fujinami, you can find it on New Japan World. That's my recommended match of the week, and you've got to see it. Nice. Yeah, so definitely check that out, guys. Uh, next week, we'll be back here to review the New Beginning in Sapporo, Night 1 and Night 2, and give our predictions for New Beginning in Osaka. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at ki strong style. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also follow us in the Wrestling Squared Circle, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the Pro Black Guy, and Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. Also, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling, Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. Also, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And then we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy O., and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.